and welcome to the Friday Nightmares podcast. Uh, recording from his living room in Swartz Creek, Michigan, during this blistery cold day, is uh, your host, Scott Crawford. And with me, as always, is my lovely host as well, Miss Heather Powell. Well, I was going to introduce myself, but Scott apparently doesn't think I'm capable of doing it. Just kidding, well, Scott. I got I got yelled at the last time for not introducing you on another uh, one of our bonus Yeah, that's posts. true. <laughs> I don't know why people think that I'm incapable of doing it myself. But as Scott said, I'm Heather Powell coming to you today from Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Um, also a little chilly for me, but you know what? As Scott and I were talking about in our pre-gaming prior to recording, it's pretty normal this time of year up north. You know, you're going to have a fluctuation of weather. It'll get warmer again. And, um, you know, maybe this is just making sure people maintain that social distancing or physical distancing that we Yeah, no kidding, right? Do, right? Because, uh, yeah, I've with the warmer weather, I had seen a lot of people outside wandering around and being not practicing that social distancing so yep maybe this is just mother nature saying hey get your butts inside well you know it's hard to do i think people automatically want to spend time with others and and you know as human beings right so i think that as we as we get on through through may to june things will get nicer and they haven't canceled all the events up here yet there's some stuff that they've still kept um which is great and you know, you know, at the end of the day, it's real first world problems that we're complaining about here. You know, like oh, it so is. You know, we're we're very lucky to live in two countries where, you know, you have access to fresh water and and safe food and and safe housing and and stuff like that. Generally speaking, of course, there are people who don't have that, um, especially in our indigenous communities in Canada. Um, which is probably ties into the fact that we covered an indigenous film this this past Monday on Fresh Cuts and um, my my other Canadian brother moods and I were able to talk a little bit more about indigenous issues in Canada. Um, but yeah, so here we go. And we're, we're moving on from creature features onto episode seven. And now we're going to be looking at haunts and their impact on films. Yes. Which I figured was a, well, actually I think it was you that brought it up that it was like halfway to Halloween. So what a, what a good way to kind of just jump into this next uh, topic of ours. Well, absolutely. It's just, what, a little over halfway now. Um, and hopefully, uh, by the time Halloween comes, everything will be up and running, especially these haunts. After now watching a couple of different documentaries that we'll get into about these haunts, I have a new appreciation for how much work they take, uh, how much money they cost, and, you know, the, the, the time for them to make profit is pretty limited in some cases. Some are open all year round, um, but some are not. And you definitely have a short period of time to make that money back. So hopefully we will see a resurgence and ability to go out to these things come October. Yes, because, yeah, that, like we're just doing the research we've done, just I, like I was telling you earlier today, just looking up some of these different haunts that we found. I'm like, man, I really want to go to like all of these. <laughs> Right, they all look really, really great. So, you know, and they're fun, and we'll and we'll get more into the into our into our middle section. I don't think our what we've been watching will be as long as it's been other weeks. Um, I know myself, I wasn't able to watch as much stuff, mostly due to work commitments that I had. Um, but yeah, I guess I can. I guess I should start off, or do you want to start off? Um, yeah, I'll say it doesn't really matter with these top ones because we watched both of them together. So yeah, you can go ahead and start it off. Okay, I'll start off then. So I well, we both watched uh, one bedroom which is a 2020 horror film, even though it was made in 2019, I believe it was a film festival film. Yeah. Uh, made its circuits around before, you know, it got picked up. And I think this was on 
well, we watched it on a good friend's Plex, but I believe it's available for rent. Yeah. Um, right. So anyway, I, I really enjoyed this concept. It's in my top 10 and it's, you know, this is a movie that's right up my alley minus, um, some of the other influences that are in it. So I want to be very careful about spoilers, but there's some premise in it that I'm, I'm pretty much done with when I see this premise in films, but here I think it was done really well. Uh, but the gist of it is a young woman moves to an apartment complex. She's, she's new to LA trying to, you know, find her way, get her dreams, become a big actress and all that kind of good jazz, kind of similar to starry eyes. Um, yep. But is, uh, you know, gets this one bedroom, apartment in this complex and you know is is great because they do the the thing with the open house and people apply and stuff that was all pretty accurate and she moves in and things are not what they seem no Um, they are not (laughs) and you know i thought that it was really well done i thought the acting was really well done I know you guys talked about this on the Rotten Round t- Rotten Roundtable, and uh, yeah, like I don't, I didn't recognize anybody from the film. Doesn't mean that they haven't done anything before. It just means that I haven't recognized them. Right. And I thought they were excellent. Like I, I really enjoyed the pacing. I thought that it was long enough. Um, yeah, it's it's a good flowing film. I think you yet again got to be into a lot of character development. There's not a lot of, you know, over the top kills. Like the kills are pretty standard. Like there's nothing that's super super gory. Um, it's more of a mind a mind torture than anything else. Yeah, yeah. This is a yeah. There there are many films when when you watch this, which I highly recommend anybody watch this movie because you'll see a lot of the influences of some classic older films for sure Mm -hmm. but yeah i really enjoyed this like you it is in my top 10 um when i first watched it i thought it was pretty good and then as like was it the week or two went on after i watched it it just stuck with me and i kept thinking about it and thinking about it and Mm -hmm. it just got higher and higher and higher in my rating as i kept thinking about it it's one of those where yeah it just the more it sits with you, the more you're going, man, that was really freaking good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Absolutely. yeah, like the stuff that happens in this film is very uh, messed up. But yeah, I agree. That's It's more like the psychological torture instead of like actual gore and violence. It's more which, about the story. Which like is that. fine. It's done well. You know, sometimes those movies happen and like, I kind of talked about it in the last episode. I'm just tired of like, it's always it's in their head. It's all psychological. Right. Like sometimes that's a little draining for me. This wasn't like that at all. Um, besides one factor of it that I'm just over and it was done well. I'm just over like the concept that was used. Um, it was good. It was solid. Yeah, I agree. It's worth the money. Yeah, absolutely. I would like, if I still start collecting movies, I would own this in my collection. Oh, nice. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and then the uh, next movie, you and I actually both watched this separately, but uh, fairly recently. In fact, yesterday, I think. And that is the Shutter exclusive Z. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, just dropped on Shutter this last Thursday. And it's pretty much the story of like a kid with an imaginary friend that uh, may or may not be imaginary. And it's, uh, there's been a couple movies like that in the past. And yeah, this is just kind of along those lines, but just, yeah, I thought this was done really well. Like once again, great performances all around, especially from the boy. Mm-hmm. The child was really good. I got to say though, the longer I've sat with it, the less I've liked it. Oh, really? 
Yeah, there's some, you know, there's some things that happen in the latter half of the movie that don't really make sense at the beginning half of the movie. And we can chat about them afterwards because they are very big spoilers and I don't want to go down that road, obviously. Right. Um, but yeah, like I, I still enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I think it's well acted. I think it's well filmed. It's a Canadian film. Um, it is filmed in Canada. And of course, you know, I have to love every film that's made in Canada. That's you just, so do. <laughs> it's just my right and my, you know, agreement as being a Canadian citizen. Um, but I, there were definitely parts of it when I, when I looked back later that I was kind of like, hmm. That didn't really make sense. Mm, like that's kind of poor writing. Like, cause there's times where, you know, stories can take a twist and that's fine, you know, and, and you don't really need to kind of like, or you look back and you go, Oh, that makes sense because of how this character behaved here. That makes sense for the twist. This didn't do that. If you actually look back and you watch the movie a second time and you look at that latter half, there's things that happen in that latter half that really don't make sense with what happened at the beginning of the movie. And we'll talk about it afterwards if you want. Yeah. Cause I'll, I'll, I'm kind of curious, but I think I know what you're talking about, but yeah, just to right? see. Like, so, but that doesn't mean it's a bad film. I think that no. I have it in my top 10. I will probably remove it um, for that reason, but I definitely would recommend, you know, as a free watch on shutter, or if you're already paying for shutter as a watch on shutter, totally worth your time. You'll enjoy it. Yeah. I'll say it. Cause it's definitely a, f- good enough movie like it's worth like especially if you're one that's trying to watch as many 2020 films as we are it's definitely one to check out absolutely yeah for sure um i guess the next one is the wretched oh yes (laughs) um wow like what now this is a michigan-based film this was filmed in michigan it sure was right um so scott has to like it simply for that that's that's what we do on this podcast we just pick films that were filmed near us and we decide that they're good because they they feature things we're familiar with that's how we roll on friday nightmares except for for (laughs) me it's a lot fewer films compared to all of canada films (laughs) yeah that's true like i represent with all of canada though ontario which is where i live has a lot of films like it it chapter one and two was filmed near my work like right, I know yeah. exactly spots where it was filmed. So, um, and I had a chance to be an extra in it too. I just I, couldn't I think I you time off that. work to go. Um, it was being filmed in a small town, not that far from me, about an hour and a half. And they were looking for a random call for extras to just show up. You know, the scene where um, one of the main characters sees Penny the uh, Pennywise in uh, the town setting, like in a park area. Yes. That scene okay all of that leading up so that town was is a is a northern ontario town that was used and um so yeah anyway i digress it has nothing to do with the wretched i don't know why i decided to bring that up but anyway that's what happens here in this podcast we just go into side tangents it's our show we can do that show right so the wretched was a, a great film uh the acting was very solid i i definitely enjoyed there were some great teenage actors in it the plot moved quickly uh also a similar trope in terms of you know what the um the who the antagonist was but not not overused in my opinion it was well done it wasn't in your face um i liked it It, they did a really really good job and you know kept me interested all the way through i was definitely invested in what happened to the characters and there was a twist that i did not see coming um didn't didn't then when they looked back on things i went oh that makes sense yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It was done well, you know, and that's, um, and I appreciate when films do that. Yeah, this, 
I, wa- I, was, I was really anticipating this because we even brought this up on our uh, what we were looking forward to segment a couple episodes ago because I'd seen the trailer and I was like, oh, this looks like right up my alley. And yeah, yeah sure freaking was. This, was mm-hmm. I, this is before I even knew it was filmed in Michigan. But uh, yeah, the places it was filmed in was, uh, I think it was Omnicus Acomnus or something like that, I forget, and then North Point. Cool. And I've been to uh, North Point, and I recognized a lot of those areas like that they were using, and I thought that was really cool, which is rare for me to say that in the Michigan film. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. Well, Michigan's a big state. Yeah, it's huge. Like, it's not like a small little state, so. No, there's lots of the areas I still have not been to, but yeah. Anyways, this like this film has a lot of like uh, my style of filmmaking, uh, the types of horror films I like, and this one just nailed it. I was in love with it. The design for everything that was going on, the kind of like the backstory for the evil that's in this movie, the violence was over the top. Um, it was. Yeah, just an all-around solid film. And this is, right now, sitting at my number three. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think I have it at 10. So we're just on a different um, wavelength. But it doesn't mean by any stance that I think that's a bad movie. No. I, I think it's excellent. There's just other things that connected with me more than this one. Um, but yeah, very, very good film. I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, yeah, this is one that I'm going to tell everybody. You need to see this. If you're watch a horror fan, movie. watch this Freaking watch it now, or I'm going to break your kneecaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Scott's like the nicest person in the entire planet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? yeah so if anything, I'd give you a hug. Yeah, if anything, Scott's <laughs> going to hug you to death. He's going to bear hug you to death. <laughs> um, well, the next movie, you'll have a lot more to say, but I will bring it up. Mm. Uh, and it is also another Shutter exclusive, and that is Blood Quantum, which uh, was a uh, indigenous zombie movie. Yeah. And yeah, this was a really good film. And then obviously the things that you had to say about it on Fresh Cuts, please go check that episode out. You and Moods brought a lot of knowledge. Uh, That opened my eyes to a lot more parts of the film that I did not like totally catch on to. And like there are some of it I did understand just because, you know, I do, we have the indigenous here as well, but and some of the same issues. But yeah, just like hearing the stories and like the things that you picked up out of this film was very fascinating and made this movie even better for me. Well, you know, indigenous individuals, aboriginals, Inuit, um, whatever the appropriate term is for wherever you live, natives, because I know that um, Moods talked about how some indigenous people he knows prefer to be called natives. And obviously, like you use the term that someone is most comfortable with. Right. Um, But politically and socially, um, when we talk about, you know, the people that were here first we refer to indigenous um we're colonizers you know and i think that people have a hard time accepting that but unless you were indigenous you're a colonizer yeah it is what it is right so especially if you're white so, you're right um i think that this movie was a perfect example of ma- making people aware of issues so such as alcoholism um, drug abuse, poverty, uh, unplanned teenage pregnancies, um, and the treatment of indigenous folks without shoving it down your throat. Yeah. You know, you would have really had to, and I was very pleased to work with another Canadian who is 
just as knowledgeable on indigenous issues and coming from the west coast so moods lives out in beautiful prince george british columbia uh, so we live very very far from each other for any of my american friends who maybe not know that yeah i think what is uh, it like uh, 40 hours um well no to drive it takes seven days but to seven, fly wow. to fly would be probably like a four-hour flight um but yeah, it's uh, seven days, like the ring, seven days. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm sure people will be like, I can make it shorter. But like, generally speaking, if that's, um, it takes two days alone to get, about, get out of Ontario. Ontario is such a big province. Um, so anyway, long story short, this movie was very, very well done zombie-wise. The special, the special effects were very good, I thought anyway. Um, yeah. The gore was great. And if you just want to watch it as a zombie film, you can. You know, not everybody needs to look at a film and pull meaning from it. And not every film means the same to each person. Right. Um, you know, I may watch a film and go, wow, I really connected with this and this from the film. And the filmmaker may be, may be like, great, that wasn't my intention. I'm like, that's cool. That's what I took from it. That doesn't mean what the film, that's what the film was about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think definitely this film did try to subtly um, refer to Indigenous issues in, in Canada. And, um, you know, we have a pretty shitty track record, just like the United States does. So, you know, I yep. think that it's, uh, it was well done. I recommend checking it out. It wasn't on Canadian Shutter, strangely it, enough. Yeah, where did you watch it then? I watched it through your American Shutter. Somehow I was able to get it through your American Shutter, but Christian could not get it through the Canadian Shutter. Really? Because that's uh, Christian weird from cause... Exploding Heads. I should also state who he is. Yeah. Christian from Exploding Heads. NTGIF Fridays. Um, but yeah, that, that is crazy because, uh, you know, there, when we first started doing this podcast for our very first episode, we did Lords of Chaos. You had Lords of Chaos from my Shutter account, but it was not on my Shutter here in the U.S. It's so super weird. Because with the Vin and stuff, but also it's even more strange is it's a Canadian film, not on Canadian Shutter. Like, let's just right. follow that down for a second. Um, That's really weird. You know, and Canadians are not shy about making films and TV shows that expose the un un ugly underbelly of our country. I, I would honestly say Americans are not good at that. Uh, the few ones that do are usually not that popular mm -hmm. um, and have some kind of, you know, little swing to it um but i think canadians will go there um you know there's i remember we had one uh short mini series back in the day called the boys of saint vincent which was about abuse in the church um, oh wow series yeah so like we go places you know we uh we had a long time running tv show named uh called north of 60 and it it really exposes aboriginal and indigenous, well, at the time it was Aboriginal, but indigenous issues, like, it doesn't hold back. So um, that's the one thing I can definitely say for our country is that we don't tend to hide away in media of our, of our wrongdoings or our past that's shady, unfortunately. It's just it's Canadian media. Not a lot of people watches it. So right. I'm hoping that uh, this movie gets a little bit more exposure. Yeah, and I think maybe that could be one of the reasons why it dropped on the U.S. one first, just to maybe. kind of pick up steam. Absolutely. Could be quite possible. Um, the other, you know, <laughs> mm. uh, movie that we watched uh, is The Lodge. <laughs> yes, we did. And, um, you know, I, I, I can see why someone will enjoy this film. I did not. I did not enjoy this film. I thought it was okay. What I enjoyed about it was beautiful scenery. It's filmed in Quebec. Um, and I saw the 401 in it, so shouts out to my Canadians. You get to see a little glimpse of the 401 that they're driving on. If you're, and, if, you're no, if you're noticing the trend here, 
Lots of uh, Canadian films that uh, Heather is definitely noticing and picking up on. <laughs> well, you know, I Google when films are made, too. Yeah, I do. suspect that it's made in Canada. I will look it up um, and to see if it actually was or not. So we, we get a lot of films that are made up here. It's very, very common. So Oh, it is. Um, you know, it's, it's just a fun little game I play with myself to figure – play with myself. That sounds great. But no, <laughs> that I play to figure out if – a movie is Canadian made or not. But anyway, The Lodge, the acting is great, uh, beautifully filmed. I just found the plot so, like, everything thrown together. I felt like it wanted to be every movie under the sun and use every trope under the sun. And I just found that very tiresome. Um, and without giving spoilers, I am just very tired of every stereotype that has to do with certain things being used in a film Mm-hmm. and being exploited and i i listened to you on the rotten round table with mr mark nato and i have a lot of respect for mark nato but a second watch will not change my opinion on this film um i have a fundamental issue with certain things that are exploited in this film and that's me by no stance am i saying that everyone else should feel that way i am just so tired of certain tropes that are constantly used they are just not my jam that being said this film is very well done very well acted very well filmed, all those kind of things. The script is decent. Like, it's not a bad script. I just did not care. Like, when I can call a plot 10 minutes into the movie on what exactly is going to happen, and it's a movie like that where you shouldn't, it's not like it's a slasher where you're going to be like, oh, well, someone's going to survive at the end, and they're going to fight back. Like, where you kind of, like, know what's going to go down. Um, That's a movie where you shouldn't be able to call the plot, and I was easily able to do that. That being said... I can respect that some people watch this film and it will be their number one film of the year. And I would not dispute that. It's just for me, it pulled and I, I kind of got on my little angry rant there and I'll get into this more later, but I'm just tired of certain things being exploited in my opinion. Um, and this film did that. Yeah, it did that. And I will have to agree with everything you said about the way it was shot, the way it was filmed, all that it was really well done. It was trying too hard to be an art house film along the lines of something Ari Aster would do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, it doesn't know it didn't know how to present it properly, like the way Ari Aster can do when he makes films. Mm-hmm. The issue I have with this freaking movie, because Heather knows, I was pissed when I was watching this mm-hmm. movie. I was not happy with it. And I'm not mad at it. I'm just tired of the of the things that were used in it. You were actually mad. Yeah. yeah. Like, because of the things that were used in it, and then the glaringly stupid plot holes throughout it. Mm. Like, to the point where I'm just going, I, I can't even enjoy this because of these plot holes. It bothered me so much. Like, in films that don't, go like the super serious like think piece route like this film does i can forgive it but when you're trying to be like something that has a deeper meaning in it the these plot holes should not exist mm-hmm. and i found them to be glaringly annoying and just drove me up a wall like i just could not get past it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and like i I would recommend it because it is a well-made film and I know there will be people that will really dig this movie. This one was just not for me. 
Yeah, and and that's okay. Like yet again, respect to them. It's like similar, though. I will say, Midsummer was a better film. It's how I felt about Midsummer. Only Midsummer is a much better movie. Yeah. Um, I I can see where they were going, and I I understand the effort. I just felt like it was trying too hard to be like the cool kids, and it just was a knockoff. <laughs> yeah, that's what I felt like, you know, watching it. But um. Yeah, you know what? Props to being filmed in Canada and giving us some money. So thank you for watching. Yep, and it's cool because it's another Hammer horror film. Hammer is yep. still around and producing movies. Absolutely, right? So we always try to make sure we pull in the positive to our negatives, unless it's Jessica forever. Um, <laughs> just, I asked a couple more podcasters this week. I'm like, have you seen Jessica forever? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, damn it. <laughs> no one's seen this movie. So it's up for me, I guess. And I think Venom saw it, but he couldn't remember it. So there goes that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> on to the next, my friend. On to the next. All right. So the next film we both watched, uh, thanks to our friends Plex as well. And that was Penance Lane. Um, which is pretty much a just indie indie film that stars Tyler Maine and Scout Taylor Compton, who were both in the Halloween remake. Tyler Maine playing Michael Myers, Scout Taylor playing uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Laurie Strode. Um, and they're back in this together. Uh, stars a couple of uh, wrestlers, which was pretty cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially seeing Booker T in a role in a film that was kind of awesome. <laughs> oh my God, Booker T, man. You know, I was just waiting for him to be like, five time, five time, five time, WCW. <laughs> He's champion halfway through the movie. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> but no, I thought he did a pretty good job as like the small role that he has. Yeah, I thought he, you know what, for a wrestler, man, like I put, I have pretty low expectations of wrestlers when they show up in movies. Yeah. Um, you know, the the last wrestler I've seen that tried to put any effort in was CM Punk and uh, the girl on the third floor. And that was fine. I thought Booker T for this film, he was fine. Yeah. You know, for what his role was, it was fine. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I didn't even realize this, but I guess Tyler Maine used to be in the WCW himself. Oh, yeah, he probably was. I wonder what character he was. Dave C would know that, I bet you. Yeah, I, I forget what he, which, which one he was. But, yeah, this, uh, you know, getting off the wrestler topic for a second, but, like, the movie itself, like, actually wasn't too bad. Like, it wasn't, like, anything mind-blowing, but it was basically about this uh, guy that just gets out of jail, and he goes to get work to work on this old house that a uh, preacher wants to have repaired and remodeled. So he stays in the house and starts working on it, but there's something living in this house besides him. And it just kind of goes wild and wacky and violent from there. <laughs> well, you know what? And I feel like this is a film that you're going to, like you're going to start it. And in the first 10 minutes, they're going to be like, ah, this is the level of film it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if you watch enough movies, you're like, Ah, it's like uncorked, but not uncorked. Got it, right? Yep, exactly. (laughs) Yet again, you know, know your expectations going into this. But I think for a, I would consider it very much a B-level movie. It was fine. Yeah, yeah, it was was a fun watch. I didn't feel like I wasted my time with it at all. No, not at all. I didn't think the acting was terrible. The special effects were pretty good. Like it was, it was just a a decent watch that I would say, you know, give it a, uh, it's worth a rental see i yeah i yeah i would agree like a 399 rental yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It def- it's definitely worth checking out absolutely absolutely oh and i guess finally uh true fiction 
Oh, yes. And this was getting a lot of love from people. And I just, yet again, I, uh, I thought it was okay. And I enjoyed the flow. The acting was very solid. But I just found it dumb at points. And I just didn't connect with it. I feel like I saw it so long ago now and it means absolutely nothing. Like I'm just picturing random scenes in my head and like yeah. I feel nothing for it. So it's like a total like yeah, it was there. And I, I get this whole like writer thing and and you know, this young woman wants to be a writer. She gets a chance to work with her favorite writer of all time and I just yet again feel like this was a movie that was trying so hard to be like there's gonna be a twist there's gonna be a twist it's coming <laughs> and i just i don't know when you're constantly throwing it in my face that there's gonna be a twist like i know there's gonna be a twist anyone that's seen any more than five movies know there's gonna be a twist here i just don't have the buy-in and maybe because i'm seeing more and more movies now i'm getting more highbrow and judgy but i will be honest after watching some of the film festival films and the twists that were in those I find twists like this insulting. Yep. You're starting you know, to sound highbrow. Oh my God. <laughs> Soon I'm going to start like, well, it makes sense. I already have Starbucks and you know, what else do I do that's really highbrow? I like Kate Spade. You know, I really am pretty like privileged. So I don't know, maybe that just falls in with the rest of things, but um, I just, I'm just tired of it. I'm just tired of films like this. that I feel like throw the twist in my face so early on that it just doesn't when i can yet again when i can call a movie like that and i did i think i did call what was going to happen you did right like that's it's just it's it's no longer fun for me i know and see that's where i think i was uh i was different from you in that like i like i have pretty much the same thoughts but like when you were guessing like oh it's gonna be this i'm going nah i can't be that that'd be just it's too easy of a thing to like too easy of a twist it's got to be something else like like this and you're going no there's no way it's going to be that i'm like or this no it's not going to be that it's going to be this and yeah you were dead on and i'm going son of a bitch <laughs> yeah like i just i don't want to sound like a negative nelly but i just i and again you know if you like this movie awesome if it's your jam that's awesome i would never take anything away from it i think there is some solid acting in here i definitely think that the set is good i think they utilize things well it just it just wasn't for me yeah i i agree there like i started liking it towards the end of the second act beginning of the third act after the twist all happens and things were ramping up a bit but then like the ending hit and it brought it right back down to me and i'm going this is now this just didn't work for me um i would say that i can definitely see a lot of people liking this movie though so it is definitely worth a rental to them absolutely i definitely think it's worth a watch and some people really love it and some people won't like you know like i got mama monsters is my number one film and some people may not even have that in their top 20 i just connect with that film more it speaks the heather language of what i care about and what i'm connected to right this may speak the language to somebody else and that's absolutely fine you know i'm not somebody who you know just because i don't like a film but i can still see the quality behind it decides to shit on it and make other people sh like who like it sound stupid or bad for liking that i think it's actually a very immature approach and 
you know, there's films like Jessica Forever that I just don't get what was happening throughout it. And if someone is hanging to me and said, oh, yeah, this is what it meant, I'd be like, okay. Or there's films like The Wakefield Project, which, you know, really should have been a pornography. Like, yeah. that, you, <laughs> that you go, like, okay, like, that's something that probably most people aren't going to enjoy. But, you know, a movie like this, a movie like The Lodge, some of this comes down to taste. Oh, it absolutely does. You know, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, and I figured, like, True Fiction and The Lodge were going to both be right up my alley because of that, like, my taste. And, yep, they just didn't hit with me. All right, and that's fine. Yeah, it just happens. But I guess, yeah, we can jump into the uh, older movies that we've been watching. So I guess I'll go first. We're going to hammer these out. Ham, ham, ham. All right, so first one is Revenge, which was a Shutter exclusive, I think. Yep. Uh, 2017. I'm a little late to the game on this one. It's a rape revenge film. Um, the rape scene is actually pretty uncomfortable to watch and fairly realistic of what would happen. The whole build up to it is you see it coming. Um, and you know, it's, it's, you know, the rape scene isn't over the top, which I do appreciate because rape yeah. is always over the top, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like and, it, gave me, it still made me uncomfortable, but it wasn't that like, hard 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 to watch like uh last house on the left i spit on your grave type irreversible. Well, and i i think where i'm going I, I agree with you but where i'm going with this is what real rape looks like yes you know and it's just as fucking painful for the person having it done to them oh yeah and we should be just as equally uncomfortable we don't have to have them cut up and bleeding for us to be like oh shit right. that's not okay right exactly um though the most um devastating rape scene i've ever seen was on was a male rape scene um in a tv series called slasher in the second season mm. um, were you telling me about that that was probably the most the aftermath was probably the most painful to sit through um and and i th- and i applaud them for using a man as a victim um because i think that that can be seen as different ways um but it was really well done and maybe we'll get to that one other time um, and more explore, and, and explored in more detail. But this film was, you know, there were some scenes where I was like, really? Oh my God. Are we, are we really yeah. going here? Like, I don't know how this girl went from being like, I like to party like, and have a good time. Reminded me of me on a, like a Saturday night and just wanted to like rip it up to being like super scout, like survivalist, <laughs> survivalist, right? Seemed a little like, you know, over the top for me, but like, not the worst movie I've ever seen, but I definitely was was checking my clock and being like, "Is this done yet? Is this done yet?" Is yeah, because because <laughs> I reviewed this on the podcast by the cemetery. Oh uh, yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, you did. And like, I enjoyed it well enough. It was you know okay to watch, but man, this movie needed like for the topic that it was covering, mm. it needed to decide: Am I going to be serious? Or am I going to be over the top? Mm-hmm. And it did not know which way to go. Mm-hmm. It went from serious to Looney Tunes with blood. Yeah, I would agree. It was, and it was set in a desert too, right? So yeah. like, <laughs> perfect setup for Looney Tunes. Oh, yeah. it was just like, because especially that ending scene with the chase sequence, that, that reminded me of a freaking Looney Tunes cartoon where they're just running in circles over and over and over and over and over. And neither of them, I was waiting for them both to stop turn around and meet each other halfway. Like I, yeah. I was just waiting for that to happen and like just laugh because it was so stupid. Yep. And I will get credit. The main, the main actress, I don't know her name. Beautiful lady, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, 
you know, in great shape, looked really badass when she was dancing. Her sexy dance looked great in the camo and the, you know, Rambo revenge stuff. Um, the main guy was good looking. Seeing the two of them hook up was good looking. Um, you know, the, the house was nice. I kind of dreamed about having a house like that. But like when I'm looking through and going, man, that pool. Yeah, I'd have a good party there. You know, that yes. tells you how disconnected I am. Yeah, well, and what's and going that, on, right? And that guy too, like, you know, all the acting was fine, but man, did he go from zero to a hundred within like, like that? Yeah, like he became a real psychopath, right? And like that's yeah. fine, I, you know. And I, I got the impression that he was a government official, um, of some kind or some kind of important person. And though I did find yeah. what my favorite line is, and this is a spoiler. Uh, at one point, he tells her that he got her a job up in Canada. <laughs> And he's oh, going to yeah. send her to Canada. <laughs> I was like, I love it. I don't even say the province, just Canada. We're just going to drop you off in the middle of <laughs> territories. All the best to you. Um, but yeah, you know, it was fine. It was, meh. I definitely would have had it on my top 100 of the decade. It was, it was kind of just there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, but I, I hold rape revenge films as a female to a different standard than I think other people may that aren't female and i and i use that generally speaking i could be completely wrong with that maybe one day we should do an episode just on right revenge talk about it because i think that um you know i think this was fine but i think other films capture it a lot better like um mfa um, yeah is a much better rape revenge film than than this was like oh for sure and i think it came out in the same year around the same year yeah i think it did right so anyway the witch 2015 yes one of my favorites uh finally got around to watching it uh i've heard so many polarizing opinions on this for good friends of mine too right um and i enjoyed it i really did i thought it was a well-done film the old english didn't throw me off at all but i understand get old english so it was very easy for me to follow i didn't even need subtitles like i was no neither did i follow what they were talking about um the acting out of this world from everybody reminded me a lot of the crucible not the movie the stage play which is different um so i have seen the stage play and the stage play it was the best stage play i've ever seen because the main accuser was so good that i wanted to get out of my seat and punch her in the face that is how good of an actress she was on a stage play to invoke that level of anger from an audience member is incredible right is incredible that's how much i believed her performance so i think that the witch would be an excellent stage play i felt this way too about the strudes nest um it's a fairly simple set i honestly found the ending not bad i just expected more with the religious overtones of the film um but wow what a good exploration of religion mental illness family fear despair you know the isolation wasn't even i don't that's not what i pulled from that i think this was very much a movie about religious overtones oh that's what it um, absolutely is family family hierarchy um the treatment of females during that time the fear of um witches and witchcraft i i feel like it really really tied it well together and definitely if i had seen it would have been on my top 100 horror films because i do think it's really really well done um 
I was disappointed with the ending because I would have liked it to go somewhere else, but it doesn't mean it's a bad ending. Right. You know, like I would I, I would have just liked it to be slightly different, but it was still very solid. Yep, and I enjoyed the ending for what it was. Like it didn't didn't take it down for me or anything like that. Like, yeah, I, I would have liked to seen it go a different spot, different way, but I'm fine with how it did it. And like, but yeah, I I love a lot of the a lot of the aspects of this film, like because I know a lot, like I know a lot of the background behind it because I've just listened to a ton of podcasts that did really, really, really deep dives on this, and the fact that Robert Eggers, this dude, just loves to go like, let's make a movie with all original stuff, like he did in The Lighthouse. Mm-hmm. He used a camera that was from that era of the twenties or whatever it was, just to give that authentic feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, with with this movie, they built that cabin with tools only settlers at that time would have used and the music in it was done by a musician that only used instruments that of the time that that of that time yeah they kept it pretty authentic like yeah they went way yeah they went way above and beyond for their authenticity on this and then like the lighting being filmed only by candlelight and the outside lighting which that's hard as hell to do yeah, absolutely. And I think the film, um, you know, reflects that. I don't think that's what makes it a good film. I think that just adds to the the atmosphere, which brings out yeah. that acting. But the use of Old English is actually really good in that film. I, I really appreciated it. Definitely a very good movie. You know, it's not, I can see how some people would find it boring. I did not find it boring at all. At no point right. was I thought it was boring. It was slow, nothing like that. But I think if Old English isn't your thing, you could definitely get bored by this movie. You know, you have to be into Old English, understand what's going on, or reading subtitles or whatever to understand. Yep, exactly. And that that's why I was so unsure about this movie when you said you were going to watch it. I'm like, I, I don't know what you'll think about this one. It's like, because I, I know your taste pretty well, but I was still just on the fence about this one. I don't think you realize how much I like theater and how many Shakespeare plays I've seen. That's what I don't think you understand. Well, I know, um, you've, I know you've seen a lot of, I know you love theater and you've yeah. seen, seen a lot of Shakespeare. What I didn't know was uh, that I didn't, pull from it that this could have been a stage play like you did I just oh didn't think about absolutely that. this would have been a phenomenal shades play uh stage play this could be something that is at the stratford festival or the shaw festival in niagara on the lake um excellent excellent really well done uh well done film that can easily be adapted i feel as i said i said i feel the same way about the shrewd's nest um that could be adapted to a very very good stage play and that's where you really get to see good acting <laughs> Yeah, Um, because you don't have all that other shit to rely on. You have the stage and the audience, and have to get them to believe uh, that they're in that situation. So the other one I I watched went back in time to Road Games in 1981 with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who is probably you know well known for Halloween and Screen Queen and stuff like that. Really fun movie. It's based in Australia. truck driver driving around finds out some fishy stuff that's going on and uh basically gets involved and it's a it's a good film it's well acted it's enjoyable to sit through and pretty good for 1981 nice yeah this is one i still need to check out like i i didn't even realize i could i i didn't even realize this movie existed until you talk, brought it up to me i'm going hmm. <laughs> well it's a good trivia question too bad we're both well, I guess, yeah, your trivia show has been released now. Yeah. Uh, we're both out of trivia because I could see this coming up as a really good trivia question. Um, anything from this movie because Jamie Lee Curtis, and there's another, the gentleman, I can't remember his name now, but he's a well-known Australian or a well-known actor. And I can't think of his name right now. And I feel horrible because I believe he was also in um, 
oh my gosh, the one about the Wolf Creek. I think he plays the villain in Wolf Creek later oh, on. Oh, right? Uh, 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 crap, what is his name? I could be completely wrong. I don't know. Anyway, we'll skip over. It doesn't really matter. Oh, St- Stacy Keach is probably who you're bringing up. Yes, I think that's who it is. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, um, he, wa- he wasn't in Wolf Creek, but yeah, he is really well-known. He is well-known. Okay, Stacy Keach. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I watched The Audition, which is a subtitle film from 1990, well-known. Yeah, Takeshi uh, Miike. Yeah, really good. Really good film, right? And I believe this is a South Korean no, I think this is a Japanese Japanese, Japanese film. Yeah, and I have not. I have not seen this one yet myself. It's good. I saw it a while ago now, so I don't remember it as well. But I really enjoyed it. You know, anytime you have a female antagonist like that, I I think it's a really cool tie-in, and you tie in relationships and dating and everything into it, and the manipulation. I always think that's cool. It's 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 up there. You know, it's up there for something that I would enjoy. Right. Um, sounds great. Manipulation of being a female, I, I, you know, something I would enjoy. But anyway, <laughs> and then finally, I saw Feast, which was a 2005 movie, and what a just a blood fest, right? Like, oh, this movie was just so much fun. You know, like just these creatures, and like the. So this is a spoiler. At one point, like this creature, you know, basically fucks this lady's face, and it's just so yeah. funny. Like it's just ridiculous, right? Like, and like. In the first, you know, yet again, more spoilers. So if you have not seen Feast, you know, I am going to spoil something. Um, the scene where, like, so the single mom has her kid upstairs and she goes up to check on him and he gets offed within the first 10 minutes of the film. And I, I didn't see that coming. I thought this kid was going to make it to the end. And uh, nope. <laughs> no, he gets killed within the first 10 minutes. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my review on, on these ones. Yeah. I will. I just want to jump in with feast and say, yeah, that movie, I was very impressed. Cause I had, it was one of those blind buys for me when I went, I was at a, Back in the day, I'd always like stop at Meyer every Tuesday just to see what new movie releases were available. And I seen this one and the cover just kind of was like, oh, all right, I'll buy this. Little did I know what I was getting into when I threw this on. Like the creature design, I really love. It's just so weird and just they're freaky looking, especially with their long razor sharp teeth. And yeah, then absolutely. The weird sexual nature of these creatures too was just surprised me it's over the top right like you know what sometimes you don't want to watch something heavy right you want to watch something light and fluffy and this was totally light and fluffy and i and i dug it i really enjoyed it um when i sit back and be like oh man wish it i wish i known about it what i well actually it's 2005 so it wouldn't have been in my top 100 of the 2010s on but like it was good it was you know if you just want to sit back and watch some gore and some ridiculous creatures um it's great yeah, this it's it's a high recommend for just a fun monster movie. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I guess I can go on to the few older films that I watched. Um, I watched for the first time Murder Party from 2007. Uh, I cannot remember the director's name, but he did Blue Ruin and The Green Room, and I believe Murder Party was his first film. And man, this was just a lot of fun like i didn't know if i was gonna like it at first because it's one of those uh horror comedies that knows what it is so like the characters are just like really ridiculous because like it's basically about this weird loner dude who just he basically just gets pushed around like to show you how much of a level of a pushover he is he gets home from uh his work 
makes himself a bowl of popcorn to go sit down to watch a movie. He goes to his favorite chair and his cat's sitting there. And I forget what, I think it may have been like named Whiskers or something. He's like, Whiskers, move. And the cat just looks at him and he just goes, fine. And goes and sits on a different chair. <laughs> he wouldn't like, the cat Aww. pretty much owned him. <laughs> That's how much of like a, just a lonely pushover this guy is. He didn't want to like start any conflict. And he gets this random invitation to go to a Halloween party. And they say, you know, dress up in costume. And he gets there and it's a, he's this cheesy ass cardboard costume that he made. And there's all these people there that he doesn't know. And next thing you know, they're using him to sacrifice. So they tie him up and these people are all just dumbling idiots that don't know what they're doing and accidentally kill themselves, fight amongst themselves. Oh my gosh. It just goes like ridiculous. And he's just sitting in the chair a majority of the time, just like watching this all unfold. And it is just hilarious the way it all plays out. Oh my goodness. And it's like so over the top and violent too. It just, it's just ridiculous and so much fun. Um, the second movie I watched was Creep from 2014 which I think was a John Duplass film, but uh, someone in our chat group, or not our chat group, but our Facebook group recommended this one to me. Hmm. And I think that might've been uh, Wade Wynio uh, from apophorror.com. I think Thanks, Wade. Him. Yep, appreciate it, because I really enjoyed this one. Uh, it's about a guy that contacts this filmmaker or documentarian to come like shoot a film for, or shoot a documentary of his life pretty much saying that you know he knows he's got like a certain amount of time left to live like is what his doctor told him and he's making this video for his fun son mm. well that's all a lie and this guy is just really weird and obsessed with uh he does this and calls the person over and just like starts stalking the filmmaker and like sending him weird gifts and things like that oh, and man. it just gets and it just unravels from there and it's just a really creepy film but i highly recommend it nice awesome i haven't seen it i've heard a lot about it and i've seen it like on like i've seen it on like netflix and stuff i just haven't picked it out to watch but i think now with our our watch challenge probably very likely i'll yeah. watch it this year i recommend you check it out i'm probably gonna see part two at some point too just to see what how that one plays out um then I watched uh, just recently To Hell and Back, the Kane Hodder story from 2017, which is a uh, documentary about Kane Hodder and his entire life uh, and how he got into films and how he went from being just like a uh, nerd that got pushed around all the time to someone that's, you know, known as playing the monsters that kill people and like his whole entire story and like how he got became a stuntman and then went from stuntman to actor and went from just going behind the mask of a killer to actually playing himself in movies and stuff like that. Like very fascinating documentary. And man, after listening to this or watching this, I have so much more respect for him. I've already, I've always loved Kane Hodder, but after watching this, like the crap he went through and the stuff that he does and like so much more respect was earned just by watching it. Like highly, highly recommend this documentary. Well, I'm excited to hear that because he's somebody that goes to a lot of conventions um, and he seems to really care and engage with his fans. That's the impression I've always got anyway. Oh, he does. Um, and I feel like he's somebody who understands, he understands his fame as a horror person. Yeah. You know, I think that 
when you go to these conventions and stuff, like if you had, you know, Kane Hodder, who is going to Kane Hodder be to the general public at times? Right. Right. Like they may be like, oh, you play Jason. That's cool. But it's not like horror fans. I'll be like, oh my God, you play Jason. Oh my God, Hatchet, you know, or whatever. And they just connect with him. And I, right. and I feel like he gets that and gives back to it. He doesn't push it off. He doesn't treat it like who cares. He, he gets it and he rides it. And I, and I have respect for people that do that. Um, that do the convention circuit and want to be there. Yep, exactly. And he was one of the first horror celebrities that I met going to the conventions. And a funny little story there is like, he doesn't do it anymore because apparently someone uh, ended up passing out from it, but he would choke you, uh, choke the person and take a picture. And when he's choking, he's actually gripping really tight, like cutting off your air. And uh, when I went to meet him, little did I know, you know, foolish little Scott, young to these conventions, not knowing that, hey, I should actually have cash on me instead of my debit card. I went up to his table and I was having one of my Jason masks signed and I wanted to get a picture with him as well. And he's like, all right, that'll be this much. I'm going, oh, shit. All I have is like half of that on me in cash. I'm like, I can, I can run to the ATM real quick and uh, get you some money and, he, and I'll come back. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. But you know what? In the picture, I'm just going to choke you extra harder. <laughs> and I was like, all right, sure. Holy crap. He grabbed me by my throat, cut off my air completely, then lifted me off the ground with one hand by my neck. <laughs> so what we're hearing is Scott was very skinny. No. I was actually bigger than I am now. Wow. Not that you're big now by any standard, no. but that's a lot for somebody to lift with one hand. Like I yeah. I lift weights and shit. No my name a chick, so it's not the same thing. But like, holy fuck, that's intense. Yeah, like I and like you could tell because my tongue was sticking out and everything in the picture because I just couldn't do anything. I was like starting to turn blue. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it that's was crazy. One of the coolest experiences. And then my poor buddy Jason, who is a huge, huge, huge fan of Kane Hodder, went a couple years later and was so looking forward to get choked out. And that was the year that Kane Hodder had decided to stop choking people because he did it to someone and they passed out. Mm. And so Jason was so bummed that he just looked over at Kane and goes, well, how about this? You lean in and give your thumbs up or whatever. He's like, I'll choke myself. So you see Jason leaning back going, ah, choking himself while Kane Hodder's just <laughs> giving the thumbs That's up. hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. The things these people do for their fans, you know what I mean? Like, oh, for like, sure. All right, weirdo, that's what we'll do now. <laughs> but he still went along with it and that's you know and really like so i'm someone that's been into wrestling my entire life and you want super nerdy people go to a wrestling match and um i've been to many many over 20 live events in my lifetime and uh like i would see these grown dudes walking around with these child-sized championship belts <laughs> and like and just you know and i am into wrestling too but i also know that it's staged you know i'm not eight years old anymore and i know that it's uh it's a staged performance but like it's just it's funny what these wrestlers put up with right like the, <laughs> the nerdiness of people can be like i know if i ever get the chance to meet certain people i will be just equally nerdy too so i'm not judging anyone at all right i just, I just find it really awesome when they play along with it and you know they like they engage. I think that's just really nice. And I think that's knowing where your bread and butter is coming from and good for you. Yep, exactly. I mean, because all they are is they're just excited to meet you. And so you might as well just give them that. Well, why else are you there? 
Yeah. Like, if you're going to be a dick, why be there? Like, right, why, exactly. why do that? Like, you don't, you know, you're, you're not doing anyone any favors by showing up and charging like $75 for an autograph. So you might as well, right. like, you know, besides yourself, that's who you're doing the biggest favor to. Um, so you might as well just engage with the ones that like, for some people, that's their entire like goal in life is to meet certain people. And, you know, if, if I was ever that popular and someone's goal in life was to meet me, I don't know. I, I don't know. My, I couldn't imagine my ego getting any, any bigger than it already is. Like, <laughs> Gosh, I'd have to become an American just to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Wow. Um, but I'm just teasing. You know. That. I know. <laughs> um. But yeah. It, yeah. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm glad that his story's worth hearing, and that you know he's come from some shitty stuff and made a real career for himself. Good for him. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I. I recommend this to anybody that just. Does wants he to talk learn about more. the Freddy versus Jason stuff? Yeah, like that. Like uh, and that's one thing I love uh, because. You know, obviously that was a sore spot for him when that happened. Yeah. And then right shortly after that, probably a couple years later, Adam Green got him on the TV show Holliston. Mm. Uh, and Adam Green came up to him and goes, look, I know this is a really tough subject for you. He's like, but I want to make light of it to uh, make you feel more comfortable with it yourself. So what I'm going to do is you're going to play yourself, but you're going to be hospitalized because you tried like, killing yourself when you found out you didn't get the role in Freddy versus Jason. And then anytime me or Joe Lynch bring up Freddy versus Jason later on in the movie, you freak out and start choking one of us or punch us, or you start hitting yourself. He's like, yo, just playing light with the subject and everything. And Kane was talking know, about pretending to kill yourself is light with the subject, but okay. Well, I, mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's really light. Yeah, right. I mean, but I get it. He, and if Kane was consenting to that, that's fine. You know, I just I don't know if I would use the word light when it comes to. Yeah, I guess yeah, that is suicide. the wrong type of word. But. That's all. but what they were trying to do was bring it up in the open. I think what you're trying to say is like they weren't yes. trying to hide it. You know, yeah. and and he probably did feel really depressed. So I think also they were sending a message to like he did feel like shit when that happened. So you know, it's good to kind of face it head on. Yeah, and he even said how much that really helped him, like yeah, doing awesome. doing that show with him. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, but yeah, uh, I guess I'll talk about the next two films. Uh, well, this one I think you've seen, but uh, Black Mountainside from 2014. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pretty much watched this from Tammy's recommendation, Tammy Turner from the uh, horror cast and the Rotten Roundtable. Uh, she's talking about how, like, it was a hidden gem that she just kind of stumbled across and yeah holy crap this movie was incredible and i agree with everything she said about it being the canadian version of the thing so i told you about this movie back in january did you yeah, <laughs> yeah i did <laughs> I, I don't remember that yeah we had a full-out conversation about this movie because i said you'll like it because it's just like the thing yep i have no recollection of that <laughs> really funny and it is a canadiana movie because they even cite that um one of the the professor that comes up is from the university of toronto uh, which is a big research institution in toronto and i don't know where up north they are they're pretty far up though i'm beginning to think that they're either past uh thunder bay at the top of ontario or they're in quebec or they could be in the Northwest Territories, which either way, or top of Alberta, um, 
is is cold. Yeah, because I I want to say it might have been Alberta because I think they might have mentioned that in the film. Did they say so? Yeah. So if they're up at the top of Alberta, we're looking at some very, very, very cold, cold, cold. Like we think it's cold here. We don't know what cold is. Yeah, because they were um, saying it can get down to like negative fifty at night and stuff like that. Is what it was saying in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's you need polar suits to survive outside. Like it's, it's insane. I really I like this movie a lot too. Um, I think they do a really good job of the whole isolation thing, and yet again yeah. using their budget well. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, they yeah. did a really good job with this one. Like it had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Absolutely, and it's on Tubi, so it's free if people want to watch it, and they yep. don't have Shutter or Prime or Netflix. What yeah, because I was gonna say I watched it on uh, Amazon Prime. Like, who doesn't have Prime? Nets? Like, usually you have one of those. But if for some reason you don't, you can use you can watch it on Tubi. Yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really really well done film, and there's some some Canadian accents in it that are pretty funny. Um, yeah, yeah, there are. Right, but uh, but it's not overly Canadian in your face. Like they make a couple of Canadian references, but I wouldn't say it's like over Canuck by any chance. No, I definitely agree. Like, cause you know, like some of that stuff would probably go over my head if otherwise. Like, just because I'm not from there and I don't know. But yeah, there's nothing that really is like besides him being like, oh, I'm from the University of Toronto and mentioning that they're at the top of Alberta and like the the Inuit people that they deal with. Because it'd be Inuit up there. It wouldn't be indigenous. Yeah. It would be Inuit. Um, you know, <laughs> like that's, you know, where it is. I always thought it was interesting with the creature, how the creature was dealt with in that. I uh, Yeah. But I feel like that was a budget thing more than anything else. Yeah, I think it was. Because, yeah, it definitely wasn't like super high budget. But no. yeah, this, they they utilized what they had and they did it perfectly. Like this is a freaking awesome movie. Well, I'm glad you listened to Tammy and finally looked at it. So that's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's okay. We talk about a lot of movies, Scott, in all fairness, we, we don't, it's not like we, we talk about one or two horror movies. Like our, our watch list is my, my first time watch list, not 2020 is almost up to a hundred. Yeah. Mine's and, at 87, I think 88. And my 2020 first time watch list is at 40. So, well, it's only for time watch because they're 2020 movies. Is at 49. Yeah, but that's at 47 for me. 48. So you, yeah, like lots of movies have been watched. So it's fair to say that some are going to be missed. But I was very happy to hear Tammy uh, talk about that one too. Yep. And, uh, uh, and then, yeah, the next movie I want to bring up is uh, Blackwater from 2007, which is an Australian uh, creature feature. Mm-hmm. Or, I guess would be more like nature run amok based off a true story type deal. Mm-hmm. But it's a, uh, about a, these group of people that decide to take this uh, boat out into like the swamp areas of Australia. Like they're just kind of on these road trips, exploring different places and they go out into this swampland and this massive crocodile, because they thought all the crocodiles were gone out of this area because they've been, mm. uh, gathered up and brought into like zoos and things like that so they thought it was cleared out and this one has been surviving out there for a while and knocks the boat over and pretty much leaves them stranded and these people are actually stuck height uh hanging out in trees mm. and like that's where they're stuck the whole entire time because there's like no dry land nearby at all so they're just stuck like trying to like not get eaten by this crocodile and it's a really good tense film and for, you know, the budget it had, three, it only had three characters to really uh, focus on. Like, it was really well done. Acting was really good. Like, 
not a lot to it, but that's, you know, for a film like this, that's all you really need. It was totally worth it. Absolutely. And for an Australian exploitation film, which is technically road games as well. Um, yeah, good films. Good films. I haven't seen Blackwater, but I think I would dig it because I do like a lot of creature feature stuff like that. Yep. And that one is on uh, Tubi TV as well. Good old Tubi. Oh, yeah. Tubi. Hashtag Tubi. You gotta love that, that website. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. And the fact that it's free and you got to sit through commercials and stuff. But if you're watching something on TV, you'd be sitting through commercials too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it doesn't really matter. Um, so I guess we'll go into what we've been listening to, which yes. is our our segment where we talk about podcasts and stuff. So I'm going to talk about a, probably a fairly popular podcast. I don't actually know how many downloads this podcast has, but um, it's the Horrorcast, Intelligent Discussion, Horror Movie Discussion with Mark Nato. And you and I have been on the Horrorcast, or Rotten Roundtable, I should say. No, you've been on the Rotten Roundtable more than I have. Yeah, I um, think uh, with this last time I joined them, I think now I've had two more times that I've been on be- besides when you've been on. So you've been on four times, though? Yeah, I think so. So he goes back and forth every week. He does an episode, and it goes between Hammer Horror, which is what he's currently doing right now, uh, with Reverend Vin, the Taminator, Brandon Young, and Watson. Uh, from the Watsi Har- Hor- Party and uh, Horror Corridor. And they, and they discuss Hammer Horror. And they've been doing that series now for a couple of months, um, talking about different Hammer Horror films. I think at least two or three. Yeah, I think it's going on two months. And I think the next episode that comes out is going to be the last one talking on Hammer Horror. Yeah, because they're talking about The Lodge. Yeah. Yeah. And Mark Nato also does this other show, or I shouldn't say this other show, but part I guess the second part of the horror cast, which would be the Rotten Round Table, which is where himself and Tammy, known as the Taminator, will have different guests from different podcasts, hosts on the show. And they talk about horror-related news. And I love I love the opening to this because I love his opening song, the horror cast, the horror cast. Yeah. Um, I love how he always says we're all all what's it, all thriller, no filler. Yeah, all killer, no filler. And all killer, no filler. Um and it's, and it's great. He, ta- he always is on the up and up. Like, if you want to know what movies are coming out, you want to know what's coming down the pipe, Mark Nato knows. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like Mark Nato has just so much knowledge, and I just feel blessed to even know him and be in the same circle as him to kind of learn what movies he likes and, and stuff like that. And I've enjoyed my time on the Rotten Round Table. Your episode that you were on there with uh, Taminator and Mark Nato was great. Thank you. Going through different movies and stuff. It's always good. It's always a good conversation. Um, and I always learn about good films. I always learn about people's different opinions on films. And I, I find it just such an entertaining entertaining um, podcast to listen to. He is an independent podcast. I don't believe he's on any network. But you can find him on Podcast Attic, uh, Spotify, Podbean, and I don't know what his server... Do you know what network he's with, or is he just... I think they're on their own right now. They're just on their own, right? So we'll include the links to his show. He has, at this point, I believe he's close to, yeah, 84 episodes. Yeah. Right? So he's been around a long time, and he also used to do Rad Radio before. So yeah, check out The Horrorcast. It is definitely one of my favorite shows. They are all, all of them are just great people. All horror, no filler. Yep, exactly. Whatever, no, all killer, no <laughs> or, filler. All killer, yeah. No, all killer, no filler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then the uh, one that I will talk about is uh, Gruesome Magazine, Horror Movie Reviews and Interviews, which is uh, 
hosted by Doc Rotten. And Doc Rotten, most people may know from the horror news radio, where they covered a lot of theatrical releases. Uh, Gruesome Magazine, however, covers a lot of the VOD and streaming releases. And Mm. he has a rotating cast of characters like Christopher G. Moore, David Dreher, and Vanessa Thompson. And other people just come on and review these movies with them. And the last episode I listened to was Penn and Slain and The Wretched. And Mm. yeah, they just go around and just uh, all give their opinions on the movie. Like there's four or five guests and they all watch it and they'll, you know, go into mild spoilers on the films but won't go too far into it and give a rating at the end and but yeah th- if you're looking for a way to hear about some movies that you may not really know much about because you know most vod stuff just kind of gets thrown out there and not brought up uh this is a good podcast to listen to because they try to cover it all and there's a lot out there so they they'll cover anywhere between two to three movies each episode i like that they do vod's i think that's really awesome yeah, I thought that was really neat. They're they're corona protected. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, they are they are being able to continue surviving during all of this. And yep, just like the horror cast and everything, you can find them on Spotify, Podcast Addict, Pod maybe not Podbean, but iTunes and all that stuff. Pretty much where any podcast can be found, they're there. And uh, we'll have links to both shows in our show notes like we always do. Absolutely. So I guess now we'll take a brief break as we get ready for our main event. Yes. Uh, So yes, uh, just enjoy this uh, promo for a fellow Legion podcast and we will be right back. This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, legionpodcasts.com. The Psychosemantic Podcast. All right, so our main topic today is haunted attractions, the history, facts, and what attracts us to them. Uh, and I am going to start with just kind of giving a brief history of like when haunted, ha- haunted, haunted houses were around or haunted attractions. So in 1802, uh, Marie Toussaint scandalized British audiences with an exhibition of wax sculptures of decapitated French figures when she set up a permanent London exhibition. She dubbed her grotesque collection the Chamber of Horrors, which I believe this was kind of like the first wax museum type deal. Then at the turn of the 20th century, the closest relatives to modern haunted houses began experimenting with macabre themes, like, in, for example, in Paris, the Grand, Gu- Grand Guignol Theater became notorious for its onstage depictions of graphic, graphic dismemberment and the uh, arterial sprays of blood. Uh, in 1915, an English fairground in Liphook debuted one of the first ghost houses, an early type of commercial horror attraction. The public appetite for horror was picking up at that point. Uh, And then Halloween-themed haunted houses first emerged during the Great Depression as American parents schemed up ways to distract young tricksters whose holiday pranks had escalated to property damage, vandalism, and harassment of strangers. These first haunted houses were very primitive and uh, were usually groups of families that would decorate their basements and hold house-to-house parties. It's kind of along the lines of what you see like at some of these... uh, like homemade haunted houses for trick-or-treaters when you're walking in a subdivision. Yeah, 
like some stuff out of people's garages and stuff. I remember it would always have some dude in a costume with a bowl of candy in the lap. Yep. And you'd be walking up and then they would move. I actually have a really, I did a haunted house once at my house once. Oh, did you really? Yeah. My, my, had my guy friends come over and I'll tell a story about that. I guess I could tell it now because yeah. it ties in. Um, so back when I lived at home with my parents, I think one of the last years I lived at home with my parents, um, I had my guy friends over. I have a lot of dude friends and female friends too. Um, but my dude friends used to like eat this shit up and they would hide in the trees. So there's a big oak tree on my parents' property. And I'll never forget, my friend was bringing her niece and nephew. So we knew her and we knew her niece and nephew. We probably wouldn't have done this to some random kid. And my buddy leaped down from the tree at the same time another buddy of mine jumped out of the bush and this girl was about nine my friend's niece and she took off down that fucking road screaming like she must have ran for about eight houses oh like she just ran (laughs) ran and like we had to run after her and she was it was the funniest scare ever and my mom um always was into halloween and she would dress up with fake spiders on her face and paint blood nice. on her face. And she'd open the door and she'd have creepy music in the background. She'd be like, hi, kitties. And the kids would be like, yeah, I try. Right? The little ones were super, super cute. And one day she came to my classroom in grade two, all dressed up like that. And I couldn't even recognize her. And we just had a talk about not going home with strangers. And my mom's like, I'm here for Heather, Heather Powell. And everyone's like, who the fuck was this? Like, my mom was crazy. So if she blames this horror thing, she really started it. Because she was all about (laughs) scaring the kids, scaring me. She loved it. That is hilarious. Yeah, my mom's a cool chick. And happy birthday to Mrs. Powell. Yes, happy birthday, Mrs. Powell. uh, 70. And uh, yeah, she's... My mom's a partier too, man. Like, honestly, you ever come up this way when, you know, 2021, best year ever? <laughs> yep. Scott and I joke about how, like, the borders will be opened by 2021 and we'll be able to do all these fun things again. And one day Scott will come up to good old luscious Hamilton, Ontario. We'll go out to the bar with my parents and fuck, man, like, be prepared to drink because they, they party hard. Hey, I'll be down. I'll say as long as I don't have to drive anywhere on my way home, I am good. Yeah, we make you drive back to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. All right, Scott, see you later. Enjoy your four-hour drive home. Anyway. (laughs) But yeah, so like I'm very familiar with haunted house stuff, like local rinky-dink family redundant stuff. Yeah, because I I have a couple like that that uh, I would always go to my grandparents' house for trick-or-treating because they were in a big subdivision. And so me and my brother would like, instead of grabbing like little little, uh, carriers for your candy we would grab pillowcases now who didn't do pillowcases the only ones that do kit like carriers are like little babies yeah it does seem that way and yeah like we would we would fill the whole thing because like the subdivision was huge we would oh yeah it'd be like a three-hour trek throughout the whole neighborhood and we would make sure to hit up every single house but there was always this one house that they did something different each year but they would scare the crap out of you to the work to the point where my brother and i knew which house it was and we were always standing by the sidewalk, afraid to go up because we knew we would get scared somehow. Oh, yeah, right? Like, you got to love that. People people like that bring communities together. And I know oh, it sounds do. weird, right? Because you're talking about scaring people. But, like, Halloween, before we get too much of a tangent, I have one last story about Halloween. Oh, go for it. So, well, that's not true. I'm going to have more stories, but I have one last story right now. So, 
Um, I, I live in a semi-detached and I live in a pretty like kid-friendly neighborhood. And uh, two years ago, maybe a year ago now, this little one comes to the door with one of those carriers because he's like two, right? Mm-hmm. And his parents dressed him up like Chucky. Nice. Right? So he had this like fake plastic bloody knife and blood in his hair. And he just like, you know, he stares at me, right? He's at the door and you can't even say trick or treat yet. Or I'm like, okay, choose which candy you want. And Mickey, my dog, with his little bow, I have a little Halloween bow tie and I put on him on Halloween night. And his collar, he's, he's sitting right beside me. And the kid takes one look at the candy, looks at Mickey, takes Mickey's collar and starts walking away with my dog. Uh, right? <laughs> and Mickey goes with him. Mickey's like, all right, right. The kid's like, trick or treat, I want the dog. And he takes the dog. And the parents like, no, no, you can't have the dog. Like, it was the funniest shit ever. Like, this little kid. Oh, my crying. gosh. Peace, I'm taking the puppy. Um, that yeah. is so adorable. It was so cute. And, like, obviously the kid didn't know he was from Child's Play, right? Like, it's not like he had any idea. Right. But it was a really good costume. Like, I was super, super impressed. That is hilarious. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually uh, people are scared because of Dexter whenever trick-or-treaters come by because his big, loud bark. Yeah, he is. But he's such a baby, though. If only they oh, he knew. is. If only uh, they knew. Yeah, exactly. Like, big wuss. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, then, uh, you know, after the Halloween trick-or-treater style houses, which reminded me of like Roseanne, because I used to watch the crap out of Roseanne and oh, yeah, uh, all their, and their Halloween episodes were always fantastic because they totally. would do exactly that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the house, haunted houses didn't become a cultural icon, though, until Walt Disney decided to build one in Disneyland's Haunted mm-hmm. Mansion, opened in 1969 which uh, was nearly two decades after Disney first approved the beleaguered project. The attraction, which was designed in the style of Evergreen House and the Winchester Mystery House, which I did not know that, that's freaking cool, uh, quickly became a success. In a single day shortly after its debut, more than 82,000 people passed through the Haunted Mansion. That's so cool. Yeah, I've, I've been to the Haunted Mansion when I was very young, so I don't remember much from it, but like I do remember going there. That's cool. Um, but yeah, that obviously, and then this is when like Hollywood began to embrace it, embrace it with the slasher movies like Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. The haunted house industry reaped the benefits. The horror boom fueled a demand for scary attractions, which, yeah, we totally see because every haunted house you go into now, there's always a Michael Myers, a Leatherface, or a Nick Freddy, or a... Well, Jason. I talked about it, I think, a couple of podcasts ago, the one I went to, and there was Slenderman, and Jason, and I was, like, cheering them on. Every time they, like, tried to scare people, I thought it was, like, fucking amazing. Like, they were, I'm sure they were like, who's this psycho? Because no one else was acting like that. It was literally just me being, like, Jason, 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 <laughs> like clapping my hands as he's like threatening people with machetes. So I think I can, that I can see you doing that. Right. And I think, you know, people knew who he was, but they were scared. And I just thought, obviously, these are people in costumes yet again. But we'll get to the movies later where that challenges that concept. That is very true. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, then there's like the one last piece for that, which is during the next two decades, the number of professional haunted houses erupted. Uh, it was roughly about 2,700 of them operated nationwide last year. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. A large haunted house attraction can reportedly earn $3 million during the Halloween season, and the industry is worth about $300 million, according to an NBC report. Interesting. Which, yeah. So they're, even though they have that small little chunk of time like window to you know do these, they make a lot of money because everybody loves doing haunted attractions. For it's sure. just like... It's just like why I don't get why Hollywood does not release horror films in October because everyone wants scary movies during that time. 
But anyways, that's another tangent I won't go on right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, the only one that does tangents here, Scott. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Heather, my bad. <laughs> I'll, I'll step back and give you the limelight for that. <laughs> yeah, make sure you allow me to go on my random tangents that make no sense. <laughs> well, I'll say that because we, we'll probably have a nice discussion about that at mm-hmm. some point, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then the next thing I wanted to bring up is why people enjoy being scared. And this was found, uh, this was from an article called you love haunted houses because they're playing a trick on your brain from uh, like, I think it was time.com. And it was an article from 2018. So this is kind of more of a study, I believe. So according to a study recently published in the journal emotion, after having a voluntary scary experiences, the researchers found people were in better moods and had decreased brain activity overall. Uh, we think it's very similar, at least at a psych, so that physiological and neurological level to the runner's high experience where you're really pushing yourself and your sympathetic nerve system is in, is in go mode, uh, which was explained uh, by co-author Margie Kerr, a social sociologist on the university of Pittsburgh who studies fear. Uh, Once you're out of the scary situation, one where there was never any real threat to begin with, feel good endorphins course through the body and it is reprioritizing of energy of the focus into the body. You're grounded and not being caught up in thinking. Which, yeah, I, I can see that. Like, I've, I've gotten that scare high by going through like haunted attractions. I haven't gone through many of them, but like, I do feel reinvigorated after going through them. Um, but for the study, Kerr and her colleagues went straight to the scary source, uh, Scarehouse, an extreme haunted house in Pittsburgh. She had been consulting with the haunted house company on its design using her research to maximize its experience for peak fear. She realized it would make the perfect environment for studying the fear and the people who chose to endure it. The researchers recruited people who had already purchased tickets for Scarehouse, allowing them to study people who voluntarily submit to terrifying activities for social or recreational reasons. In total, there were 262 people filled out surveys about their mood before and after the experience, and 100 of them wore sensors on their head that monitored brain activity before and after they went through the haunted house. After going through the haunted house, about half the people reported being in a better mood, while 33% reported no significant change. 17% reported a worse mood. There were no significant gender differences. Uh, Most people said they felt happy after going through the haunted house, while fewer people reported feeling tired and anxious after the haunted house than they did before. Mood increases were particularly significant among people who said they had challenged their fears and among those who described the experience as intense and thrilling. It stands to reason that feelings of anxiety and stress would decrease after a frightening activity, but the researchers also discovered a surprising find. When the people who wore sensors completed tasks like drawing, counting backwards, and viewing pictures, they actually had decreased neural reactivity. Less total brain activity, essentially. After they emerged from the haunted house compared to before they went in, this suggests that being scared interrupts their thinking, Kerr says. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. Decreased brain activity could mean that people were processing information more efficiently, or it could simply suggest that they were in a subdued Zen state, almost akin to meditation. Uh, Considering that quite a few participants said they felt somewhat dazed after the experience, the second explanation seems very likely, Kerr says. And yeah, I, I've seen people that have reacted differently going through these and how they feel. Like a couple of my friends uh, were actually still anxious and jumpy after going through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where you have someone like me who just felt 
like completely refreshed and just like, wow, I want to do this again. Kind of like that runner's high. Like, oh, I want to feel this feeling again. This, these endorphins are kicking in. I want to continue. But yeah, I thought that was just a very interesting study that I'd found that you know, just kind of fit along with what we were talking about today. Yeah, and it goes to show that people will be paid to study anything still. Yeah. Every every time we do these research and we find these studies, it always does blow my mind in that area. Right? Um, yeah. And I, and I think you make a really good point. I've been to many haunted attractions, um, various sizes, the biggest in Canada to some of the smallest. And I can tell you that people do definitely react differently, but it also depends how the haunt is run. Um, the more people you have, the busier it is, the less likely it is that you'll be scared unless something happens directly to you or you happen to come around a corner at one time. And then there's other ones where it's, it's paced out so well that it's hard not to be scared. Right. You know, but I think what the interesting thing with any of these haunted attractions is I am someone that reacts very very much to being startled i jump i scream i i do all those things but i'm not actually that scared right startled and i always happens to me at haunted attractions because i'm reactive i think they think i'm afraid of them and yeah i'm not you know i i I could have like (laughs) one of the last ones i went to there was leatherface and he was chasing someone with a chainsaw and i ran beside him and we chased them together. <laughs> um, this was last year, just so That's we're clear. Fair. This isn't when I was like young. Like this was just now. That's amazing. Um, and pretended I had a chainsaw and chased them at the same time. So you know, I, you know, I know he's not really Leatherface, and he's not going to cho- like slice and dice me in this haunted house, or do I? And right. that's where I feel like this play into film has been so well done. Because I am someone that goes to these haunts, and I do love them, and I do get startled or scared, but I'm like, dude, you're in a fucking costume. Yeah, they're just actors. Right? But where these movies do a really good job, some of them, um, particularly, and we'll be talking about Hellfest, is they make you think, what if? Yeah. What if? Um, And I think that that's very smart. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So just a little more background on haunted houses, even though you nailed it. Um, the only thing I would add is that <laughs> I had no idea that there's a Haunted House Association of America. Oh, yeah. And um, there isn't one in Canada because I tried to look up Canada <laughs> Haunted House Association. And it took me to like all the areas in Canada that are, Canada that are believed to be haunted. So we, no. don't, have, <laughs> we, don't, have a, we don't have a Haunted House Association. Uh, but there's a hundred... There's more than 125 of the country's largest and most successful haunts that belong, you know, to this association. And I think that's really smart that they got together and built this association. Like, that's how you know something has become big is when you have business structures around it. Right. Right. And as you kind of talked about with, with your stuff there, you know, these haunted houses make a lot of money. Yeah, I'm like, I was really impressed with, like, how much they made. I Like, I knew they made decent amount of money but wow like i didn't expect that much well and not only that is they've moved to having tv shows so there's more than 330 sorry 35 major haunts nationwide featured in high profile mediums like the travel channel and us today Mm. um which are pioneering 
the Hollywood quality creature makeup and costumes. So one of the ones I go to out here in, uh, in Ontario is Fear Farm. And Fear Farm, I think I've talked to you about this before, they have a dragon. Yeah. And a comic dragon that, that breathes fire and shit. Like, it's pretty impressive. That they took to one of these conventions and competed. And oh, I've watched, really? yeah, I've watched YouTube videos of these. So it's not horror conventions. It's, it's like these makeup haunted house conventions. They exist where all these haunters or scare people get together and they bring their special effects. They're on YouTube. If you ever want to watch them, they're really, really cool. And you can see all the different types of makeup designs, the animatronics that they make. Like it is a thing. It That's is a awesome. whole subculture that has been created. And, you know, they build on things like The Walking Dead, um, you know, uh, stuff like that to, to make things more popular and to connect with people of today. So some facts from the Haunted House facts from, you know, the Haunted House Association of America is that they estimate that there's over 1,200 haunted attractions charging admission fees to their events. We additionally estimate that there are over 300 amusement facilities producing some sort of Halloween or Halloween events, such as an amusement park or family fun center. So in uh, Florida, for example, there's a well-known Universal Studios, Walt Disney World, but there's also a theme park called the Fun Spot. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Fun Spot. It sounds familiar, but I did not realize it was in Florida. They're small little, well, they probably are all over, but in Florida, I stayed by the fun spot. So I stayed in a hotel that backed onto the parking lot of the fun spot. And the fun spot's oh. just a small little amusement area. So they have a couple of like decent sized roller coasters, nothing too over the top, a go-kart track, you know, stuff like that. But they also have this laser tag that they turn into like this Halloween zombie theme. Oh, nice. Right? So that's what we're looking at as well, too. Um so, and lastly, there are over 3,000 charity attractions that open for one day on Halloween or one or two weekends in October produced by local charity groups. So, we can see that there's a lot of money to be made in size, sales, and screams. And also, when we think about, um, oh my gosh, I just forgot the name of the big, there's always jokes about it because it goes into um, run, like, big department store areas that have gone out of business and they open oh shop. spirit halloween spirit halloween thank you or halloween haunts or something like that we have up here in canada too there's a couple of like independent ones but yeah like they do that <laughs> it's like some desiccated area and yeah, they, they go in like and the they vultures. set up yeah and they set up shop for a couple of, of months and um well usually for september into october and i know i like to go to those because i yeah. like to see the stuff that they have and yeah, uh, there's always some really them. cool stuff that's there. It's expensive, but it's also really, really cool. Yeah, there's a trick to that, though. Go November 1st, November 2nd. You are getting half off everything. Well, I don't think to... I'm going to get too much half off the $600 Jason figure. That moves. That, yeah, that, that's know, true. When I'm living my best life, maybe. That's yeah. when I'll be going back to get that. So anyway, attendance figures. So this is some attendance figures for, you know, yet again, from the American Haunted House Association. So typical haunted attractions average around 8,000 paid guests. This feature grossly depends on the market and the size of the attraction, of course. About 80% of the professional attractions in American attendance has less than 10,000 paid guests or more than 7,000 paid guests. So somewhere between 7,500 and 10,000 per professional attraction is what we're looking at. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah. And less than 3% of haunted attractions have attendance over 35,000. We're obviously looking at the Universal Studios. The yeah, which is right. dream vacation for me. Go to Universal Horror Nights. Right. Absolutely. Um, so Halloween is the second largest commercial holiday in the United States. Um, 
I'm assuming that Patriots Day is number one. Just kidding. Obviously, it's probably Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, oh, it's definitely Christmas. Not Black Friday? Uh, Black Friday is tied into Christmas. That's not really a holiday, I don't think, either. No. Um, approximately 100 countries celebrate Halloween. Over $7 billion is spent yearly on candy, costumes, and activities in the United States alone. Approximately 90% of all households with children will participate in Halloween activities. The most common demographics for the season are teens, young adults between 18 and 34. We can no longer celebrate. We're, we're outliers now, you and I yep. and everyone else in the horror community. Well, I'm um, staying in that outlying spot. Dang it. <laughs> no leaving that outlier spot. And the research shows that people enjoy being scared. You already talked about this while being in a safe environment, such as attending a movie, attending a movie, Phil Ride, or a haunted house are willing to pay for the experience. Um, today, some haunted houses will charge as much as 25000 while most... Um, $25,000. Oh, sorry, $25,000. No, 25000 to go through these haunted houses. <laughs> super amazing. I was going to say, wait a minute. Holy crap. Um, well, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if there's something out there one day. No. That for very, very well-off people. So anyway, um, most haunted houses charge about $25.00. Um, most average around 15 per event. Major amusement park haunts charge as much as 65 for entry into their events. Over 80% of haunted attractions in America charge less than 15 per person, while only 3% charge more than 20 per ticket. Roughly 60% of the haunted attractions charge less than 13 per person. So yet again, you're looking at, you know, how big is the event how many haunts are available as i said before when i talked about the haunted manor in niagara falls ontario they have a hayride that you can pay 20 bucks for or you can go all inclusive and pay i think it's like around 60 or 65 dollars for everything um which include four or five different scares and they have a illusionist and they had a band that kept playing songs over and over again that were halloween themed that's awesome yeah it was really cool um so Universal Horror Nights, we kind of already talked about that, started in 1991 as Fright Nights, and it has expanded to 11 mazes and scares throughout the park, right? So you have ghosts and ghouls walking around, pulling tricks on people, startling people. And most recently, uh, Us was a haunted house that they had themed both in Hollywood and in Universal Studios. Mm -hmm. And Ghostbusters are some of the other ones that are well-known. So anything that's a Universal uh, movie, they can obviously make into a haunted house. Yep. And yeah, they've come up with some that are just really freaking cool. I've seen images and that's why I say it's like one of my dream vacations to just go there during that time of year and then just have a whole fun weekend of doing that. My ex-husband and I were looking at doing that at one point because I've been to Universal Studio Studios a couple of times now. Um, and it's and it's incredible. Like it's, you know, the, the rides there are very much simulation rides and special effects and stuff like that. So they're very, very well done. So pulling back to Canada because I want to pull in the Canadiana experience. We have a major theme park here in Canada called Canada's Wonderland. And we have Fear Fest that runs out of Canada's Wonderland, and it has been running out of Canada's Wonderland now for, oh, I think, since 90, oh, sorry, started 2005. 
Um, and it has 11 different haunt mazes and also some of the rides. We have a ride that's a simulation like um, shooter ride that you get oh, nice. you shoot as you go through. And that's a newer ride that they turn into a zombie ride. And we also have like a, a Scooby-Doo Haunted Mansion one as well. So we have, well, it used to be Scooby-Doo. Now it's no longer Hanna-Barbera. So I don't know what they use as a theme in that now. Oh, gotcha. Right. But I have been to Canada's uh, Fear Fest. And let me tell you, it was insane. Over 100,000 people attend this event to Holy give crap. you an idea. It is, when I went, I went two weekends before Halloween on a Saturday night with a girlfriend of mine. And this is about, oh my gosh, seven years ago now. And it was insane. It was insane. If we hadn't already pre-bought our tickets, we probably would have turned around and gone home. Really? That's crazy. we waited an hour and a half to just get into the park. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we got into the park and we waited in line and, 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 we went into a haunt called the Vampire Disco. Okay. And uh, we're going through this haunt, and it's like literally a disco with vampires dancing around. Okay. Like it, <laughs> it was really silly. Um, and then we get to this part where they're kept in like cages and they're trying to grab at you and stuff. And, my, and, we're, and we're packed in so close together because there's so many people. So the scares aren't necessarily working because you can see along the way that someone's going to jump out or whatever, even though the makeup's good or whatnot. Right. Anyway, we get halfway through this and we're laughing our asses off, right? Because we think it's the most ridiculous thing. We had a security guard grab us and take us out the back exit. I, I kid you not. And he said, you guys aren't taking this seriously enough. And they took us out the back exit. And I was just like, oh my God, at 33 years old, I just got kicked out of a haunted house. Like, what the heck? Right? So anyway, we're out there and we're like, oh, okay. So we went to another one. And it was okay. It was the same thing. It was very, very packed in. Um, but they had little street performers performing things throughout it. And that was pretty cool. And I was able to get a candy apple, which you know, was a highlight of my Heather life, but this is a well attended event. You know, you have thousands of people that go to it. Thousands and thousands of thousands. Canada's Wonderland makes a lot of money. And because it's really only operational from May or April, ideally, not right now because of COVID until the end of October, though they've started a winter theme now at Canada's Wonderland as well too. They got to make their money where they can. Right. So right. they're going to have as many people coming into the park as they can. Um, but yeah, definitely as, as great of an event as it was and great as the special effects were and the makeup and stuff, it was just too many people. Yeah. Because there was too many people, you weren't engaged in it. So then there's also Screamers, which has been going on for a very long time. This one's been going on since 1993. Um, and it takes place in Toronto, in actual Toronto, in uh, the exhibition grounds. So we have something called the Canadian National Exhibition, and it's uh, one of the largest exhibitions in the world. And it it's held on those grounds so nice. it also has six mazes it has an amusement park as well um it has a vampire lounge bar so very much uh same idea as canada's wonderland same kind of themes of haunted houses yeah and I, this is one of the ones i looked up and was like just kind of checking out images and pictures of it and yeah this one looked like a lot of fun i would have loved i would love to experience that at some point well 2021 best year yeah. ever best year ever heather <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, Screeners has been around for a long time, so I have no doubt that it will not continue or it will continue. And also, I've been to Las Vegas. There's a stand, there's a, <clears throat> a a haunted house that runs on the strip all year round. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's called Hotel Fear and Asylum. And I've never gone in it because it looks really scary. <laughs> no, does it? And like, 
I've been to a lot of haunted attractions, and this one looks like it walks the line of extreme haunted attraction. Oh, um, gotcha. But you know what? Maybe if I just had a, some little bit more of liquid courage, not too much, because they won't let you in if you have too much, um, perhaps I would be more likely to go in. But that obviously does very well if it's on the strip. You're going to have people coming in and out of it. And also, there's a Circus Circus Hotel that's located in Vegas, and they have a enclosed amusement park that they have roller coasters and stuff in, and they turn that into the Fright Dome during the month of nice. October, right? So, and then finally in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, we have Nightmares Fear Factory. And um, formerly known as Screamers, but they changed their name. And Nightmares Free Fear Factory is probably one of the scariest haunted houses in, in Canada. Um, they actually have a, of the number of people that have chickened out on their website nice right and it's a high number um 1060 i always am bad with numbers 163,000 over 163,000 people have chickened out of this haunted house and they grab you in this haunted house like you have to climb you have to go through tight areas and they reach out and they grab you like it is it is yet again walking that line of extreme haunted houses without being too extreme so that's just an example of some of the ones that run all year round or run a very big chunk of time. And then we have smaller ones. So we have the Scare House in, in Pittsburgh, which uses special 3D glasses, a 13th floor house, a haunted house in Denver, which uses technology and giant animated figures. We have the chambers of Edgar Allan Poe, which I think is really funny. That's kind of um, neat. And you take a thrilling zip line ride from the top of this multi-store haunted house and plummet to the safety of the parking lot below. That's how it ends. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you got to be okay with zip lining. I'm sure there's like zombies and stuff that try to grab you too as you're going down. Um, the Netherland haunted house Atlanta. Uh, so see a giant saw blade cut an actor into half. <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, and then there's yours here. Yes, Why don't this... you talk about yours? All right, so this is the one that I'm really wanting to go to because I've always heard about it but never could get anybody to go with me. So 2021, here we come. Heather mm -hmm. will join me. Best year uh, ever. But this is the Erebus, the haunted house in Pontiac, Michigan. It actually has holds the Guinness Book World Record of the longest walkthrough haunt. It is four stories. And each year they do a completely different theme and they create these amazing creepy ass commercials for it to put on TV and promote it. Like every year around Halloween, I'll hear about Erebus the whole time, like from September to October on every commercial. And they promote the hell out of it. And they're always doing uh, donations and fundraisers and uh, they promote and, uh, go to schools like I guess uh last year I was I was watching a video on them and last year the owners and a lot of the uh workers went to schools to promote uh non-violence and to stop bullying and they called it like uh monsters against monsters or something like that which That's I thought cute. was kind of neat yeah um but yeah like uh, just like you were talking about earlier this is one where they can uh touch you and grab you like it's not extreme but it's like right on that edge and it to this day, it's 8,000 people have not made it through. Like, not near the numbers that the one that you were talking about earlier is, but still, that's pretty cool. And they see probably, i say, a good twenty-five to 30,000 people in a year. And 
the images that I've seen, the line is like wrapped completely around the entire building outside in downtown Pontiac and people are just waiting outside in the cold and the rain or whatever, just ready to go in and now is it all year round or is it just October? It is I think it's probably September to October. Okay. So and I think we gotta remember with the nightmares one in Niagara Falls. First of all, it's in Niagara Falls, Canada, which is a yeah. huge tourism place. Um, second of all, it's open all year round. Yep, that that, right. that does that is true. So that's gonna inflate his numbers by quite a bit. Um so you know you know, Scott and I got ridiculously overexcited about looking at all these haunted houses and stuff. Oh, we so did. You know, I think what this really ties into is what impact haunted houses have had on our pop culture and our culture and how you know again society is reflected in film you know what we see what we relate to is what we want to see in movies so we wanted to look at movies that were set inside haunted scares now we're not talking about haunted houses like winchester mansion or anything like that we're talking about you know actual scares that have been set up for people to go through yeah like haunted attractions and haunts and yeah and the, first, like and the first one that came to mind is The Fun House, 1981. Um, so I remember the promo for this. Weirdly enough, I remember being in the video store as a young Heather and sneaking into the horror section to look at the movies. Because I was still too scared. We all know, like, we heard the stories. I was, I was a pretty scared child. Right. Anyway, um, and I remember seeing The Fun House, and I remember the tagline said, pay to get in, pray to get out. And I remember yep. being like, that's really like. And I remember I did something to school a couple weeks later, and it was like I did a Halloween drawing, and I had that same tagline. I was ripping off Fun House because I thought it was like, a <laughs> coolest ever. Anyway, um, so Fun House, for those that have not seen it, we will be giving spoilers for these movies as we walk through them. So uh, Scott will make sure he puts that in the notes. So as we go through, please know that if we talk about a movie, we will very likely be spoiling parts of it. So yeah. Fun House came out in 1981. Basically has to do with a group of teenagers going to this carnival. Now this carnival was so dated because it had things like freaks of nature, which you can never get away with now. You no. would never be like, oh, look at this fat lady. Look at this cow with two heads. Like that's not actually a thing that happens. Nope, um, not anymore. Not anymore, but they go through this haunted house, one of those rinky dinks you sit in the chair and it takes you around the haunted house, which I've I've been in those two before. And yep. They're usually not scary. Uh, but obviously shit goes down with one of the deformed carnival workers that work there and these guys end up, you know, having to fight for their life. I actually found the movie dragged a little bit, like it was really, really good, and then it kinda like, Oh my god, can we just get to the end here? Oh, I completely agree. Right? Like I get it. She like, you know, you get your final girl and you get these kills and the kills are decent for 1981 but i feel like it really reflected the kind of haunted houses so there was these traveling carnivals and we still see them now and they have that you sit in the little booth thing you get the little you know bar that goes across you and you go through this rinkety dink open houses and things pop out and you're like boo and the skeleton drops and you're like ah right like that's what happens as you go through it yep exactly do you have anything you want to add about the fun house anything that stood with you um, not really, because this one I watched, say, 17, 18 years ago, and I remember very little about it. Yeah, point. you don't need to rewatch it either. Like, you know what, props to the 80s, props to that stuff, but I don't, I think this is, though, a capsule of what was scary at the time. You know, yeah. like, because carnival workers are scary, you know, and I'm not trying to, like, hit, hit towards carnies or anything, because there are lots of people that work in carnivals that are not scary, but the whole traveling around from city to city, and there's no trail left, and they even make a line in that, in that movie where they say, no one will miss you by tomorrow will be gone. 
and it's and it's not far off you know yeah that is true you know like it's not it's not far off of that so i think that movie did a good job on playing on the fear of the time of the kind of haunted houses that were around so then we're going to jump up to 1988's Waxwork, Waxwork, which, my God, what a great film. This I love is an example this movie. of a very good 1980s film. Um, so a group of friends go through a wax museum, and they end up becoming fixated on certain scenes in the wax museum and end up getting pulled into those worlds. And if you die in those worlds, I guess you, you die. Yep, you, you die and you become a part of that scene in the wax museum, which is freaking cool. Right. So it was so well done. The characters in there were so good. And you really, I remember watching that movie thinking, I don't really know how this is going to go down. Like, I don't really know who's going to survive this. And yeah. who's not? Um, and there's one scene particularly where the where a woman is being whipped and it's very sexual and stuff like that. Oh, I remember, yeah. like I was like, this is a pretty sexual risque scene. Yeah, because I think that was uh, the Marquis de Sade, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, and it gets pretty intense. And I was like, man, like this kind of threw for a loop from what the rest of this movie has been so far. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I, I thought that was smart as well because wax museums, and I don't know if you've ever been to one. But you I have a long about, time ago. Okay. You talked about Madame, Madame Trousseau's? Uh, Toussaint, yeah. Toussaint. Um, uh, I could be wrong the, on the pronunciation, but. I've been to the one in Vegas. So the one in Vegas is incredible. And we also have one in Niagara Falls as, as well. And they are very lifelike. Like there's horror sections that you can go through. And like there's Freddy and Jason ones where you're like, that looks pretty realistic. Like it's. It's very good at tying into what it's like to go through an actual wax museum and see figures and wonder, you know, what, obviously you don't think they're real, but they startle you. I've been in, in a wax museum, turned around, and I thought it was a person. Oh, and wow. I was waiting and, and I was like, oh, shit, that's not a person. That's a figure. Like, it was that well done. So oh, wow. I think this movie, yet again, was very smart with targeting those wax museums. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Now, I have not seen Ghoulies 2, so I'm going to leave this to you to talk about. All right. So, yeah, I put Ghoulies 2 on this list because, um, you know, this is, for one, this is my favorite of the Ghoulies movies. I think there's four of them. But this one takes place uh, in a carnival, uh, kind of like uh, Funhouse does. And this one was not more like the dark ride like that's in Fun uh, Funhouse, but this one was more like, uh, almost like, uh, what would you call that? Like the... Uh, mirror maze type where you go in and you're getting mm. lost and then then you'll get put out into this open area and then there's like all these spooky animatronics and stuff like that that you're walking through like it's a low budget haunt basically yeah and yeah the ghoulies end up like showing up uh at this carnival and they take into that like little haunt and kind of like set up their their base and that's where they cause havoc because anytime anybody walks in there they attack the people and people are thinking that it's part of the show. So more people keep coming in and wanting to see, and then they get attacked and it's just ridiculous and just, you know, bonkers cause it's ghoulies and not, not be taken seriously. But I figured that was just kind of a fitting one to bring in. Cause yep. That even uses the haunt effectively as well. Just well, it's like using the dark ride, as you said earlier, right? Much like yeah. did. And these were the kind of haunts that we were mostly exposed to at the time. Like, yes, you had your local neighborhood haunts, but these were the ones that would travel around. And even in the summer, you could end up going through a dark ride like this Yeah, exactly. or the fall fairs or whatever that may be spring flings. You would have these little haunted house things that you could go through as part of it. So if we look at 
moving on to ScareZone 2009. So ScareZone looks at a strip mall Halloween horror house, which I think is really interesting because we have this shift from dark rides to strip mall Halloween houses. And um, for those of you who are familiar with Ontario, we have a very popular tourist location called Wasaga Beach or Wasaga Beach, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Now, prior to the fire that happened there about 10 years ago now, or more than that, we had two haunted houses that were part of the strip mall there. Oh, wow. So there was a tourist strip where there was two set arcades as well as two haunted houses as well as like bars and swimwear and all that kind of stuff too and these haunted houses were staples of Wasega Beach so much so that one of my girlfriends that I knew for many years her boyfriend's parents owned it and they would move and they lived, moved up to Wasega Beach and they would run that from May all the way until the end of October like that oh, was awesome. their money that they made and then they would come back in October and they would have this like haunted house thing at their house that's awesome it was really 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 cool so um anyway so what i like about this movie here now we did not i did not end up watching it but what i find very interesting is that it's done in a strip mall yeah i thought that was a very unique setting because we're changing the setting now right we're changing the setting more away from the dark ride that as you go through this rinkety dink horror house and things jump out at you to actually including real people yeah. because in this haunted house they paid people who worked in there all day that was your job your job was to scare people in this haunted house same with um the nightmare factory in niagara falls that's your job there's also a bunch of other ones on clifton hill there's dracula's castle frankenstein uh, frankenstein's house or something like that and those are also there's live actors in there too and those haunted houses are open all year round so it's a switch over to as as certain things begin to pick up popularity we start to see them in film yeah right it's so true so then we get to the scare house 2014 um so this is basically based on a bunch of young ladies six college girls um are invited to an elaborate halloween fun house that is being hosted and ran by individuals and it really is a revenge film yeah masked as a halloween film but then we're starting to you know pull on the more elaborate haunted houses that some people choose to run as we saw in movies like um the haunter's yard of the scare there are some people that spend months gearing up for these haunted houses and have people go through them so mm -hmm. even though they're locally run and not run by something like universal studios or screamers or whatever they're still very much um well put together well done and that's what scare scare house was reflecting yeah because it was a lot of planning before yep. it all got played out and you got yep. to like figure everything out and yeah i i thought this was a really good movie the way that it was all done too like it was brutal at times too but yeah like it didn't really focus a lot on the haunt itself no. but it was a way to use it to lure people in and yeah like you said there's like a scene in it where they're torturing one of the people and one one person just accidentally walks in the room and sees it going on and he's going whoa cool effects and exactly just like it's showing like you know things are getting more realistic looking as we go on with these haunts as well and yeah, also kind of plays on that fear that, yeah, this could 
be happening and you don't know it. Well, and it's funny because one of the haunted hayrides that I went on once is that you come around um, a corner and you see this this woman crying for help at this house. And this guy comes from behind her and he goes with a knife. And as he does that, stuff squirts out of her stomach. Nice. So it's obviously an elaborate special effect, right? Right. Well, I hope so, or I just saw a murder and never remember. <laughs> right. But, um, but that's where the scare house thing comes in. You're right. That's smart. You're using it as drawing the line between reality and fiction. And this is where we start to see the move from the dark rides and from the, the waxworks and the, and the more fantasy stuff to, oh, my God, could this actually be real? Yeah. And starting to play on that fear. So as much as Scarehouse was really based upon the revenge of these girls and wanting to get even and that the haunted house was kind of just there, there were certain things that they pulled from that showed our shift to wanting things more intense. Like even if we look at our horror movies, you know, you look at the hammer horror from the early thirties and on and before then, horror was not as scary as we have now. Like we look at hostel. Can you imagine if Hostel came out in 1933? <laughs> right. Like, no one would have been like, let me watch this person get freaking tortured and, and, you know, horror, what is it called? Body horror and all that other stuff that would have occurred. You know, or torture porn, I guess, is better oh, yeah. than in Hostel. But, like, we really have began to up the ante, right? It's like how roller coasters, they're bigger, they're faster, they're scarier. You know, everything yep. needs to get upped for people to be engaged. Yep, because that uh, the adrenaline, especially for the adrenaline junkies, they need something more because it's just not enough anymore. Exactly, and that's being reflected through our film. So then, the house October built, two thousand fourteen. So this is a found footage film, um, and it has to do with five friends sitting off on a road trip to discover the scariest underground haunts. So really, like they're not underground haunts. Like one is that they end up at the end, but the yeah. rest of them are all like, I was looking at them like, yeah, I've been to haunts like that. <laughs> right you know so I, I anyway i'll get i'll get your thoughts on that because i've been talking a lot oh no i i like how this movie plays out that aspect of people that are trying to find like the more scary underground thing because like we were just talking with Scarehouse, the adrenaline junkies want need something more like typical haunted houses just don't do it for them anymore and it's gotten to that point, and that's pretty much what these characters represent in this movie, is they're trying to find that realistic, that one that, because I think there was even a line where the guy says, I want that feeling of thinking this is really happening and real that I had when I was a kid, and mm -hmm. I don't get that anymore. And so you, the way this plays out, you know, they go to these different haunts, and it kind of goes from like one extreme, like to an extreme haunt, to something else, and some of them they're like you know getting scared and startled but they're not like freaked out and then of course you know the the last house with the blue skeleton crew is where it goes to like the point where we're at now with like haunted houses like McCainy Manor where mm -hmm. it's gone the full-on extreme route where you are pretty much getting tortured absolutely and I thought that this was interesting that they did a found footage film for this right so you're yeah. you're following them as they go through these haunted houses and and you know throughout it some of the house people get very upset that they're being recorded yep which would happen oh yeah like that's the thing and I don't and I and I kind of tried to research it and there is a documentary made before this so I don't know if he made he took some of the footage from the documentary I think the interviews because he does parts where he interviews participants in the haunted house and some of the actors and they talk about you know not having criminal reference checks and stuff like that and not doing background checks yep on and some yeah. of the actors and you are right that is 
uh, a lot of this footage is from that. Right. So I thought that that was very interesting because even by saying, well, no, we don't currently do background checks. It, it puts that seed of doubt in your head. Yep. Right. It's almost like other films that came after the house that October built. And I'm not saying this did, but I think the house that October built, they have a big thank you to because it builds that seed of doubt. Yes. You know, as I said, I walk through these things. I get scared very easily. It's not hard for me to startle, but I don't, I'm not scared once I get startled because I'm like, dude, this is fake. Like, this isn't real. You're not going to really hurt me. I'm not concerned. But it does put that seed of doubt. Oh, it absolutely does. You know, what if this was real? What if this was somebody who is unhinged and they're upset by how I react and they follow me after it's done and they're not pleased that I wasn't scared or they take their role too seriously or they have, you know, whatever relationship to this role that may be not healthy. Yeah. Right. And I think the house that October built does a very good job of laying that basic foundation of doubt. Oh, they definitely do. So um, to move on to the Funhouse Massacre. So that this one goes back to more of a storytelling. So six of the world's scariest psychopaths escape from a local asylum and proceed to unleash terror on the unsuspecting crowd of a Halloween Funhouse. So this is more of a bigger theme park. Um, yep. thing and it and it's definitely more of a comedy right like oh it funny, so is there's some pretty shit that happens throughout this movie and yet again i would say that's very much a realistic haunt yeah. um you know there's a school scene where there are you know dead kids and in, in chairs and stuff or you have to walk through areas where torture is occurring like there's parts where people are really being tortured by these psychopaths but people think it's part of the show yep you know and they're like wow really good special effects and stuff like that so it's then planting that seed of doubt and then even the part where two of the radio show hosts get off. So they have these radio show hosts there supposed to be like, oh, look, come to this event, you know, marketing and stuff like that. They get killed. And people are like, yay! Like, Part of the show! Right? And like, I've, I've seen shows like this. I've gone to events like this. And I'm like, yeah, like you see stuff and you're like, well, it's part of the show, so it's fine. But it puts that seed of doubt. Yeah, it does. Is there anything you want to add to Funhouse Massacre that I haven't talked about or anything? No, I think on that one. This? I think that one you pretty much nailed. Okay. And then Fear Incorporated. So 2016, a horror junkie and his friends sign up for the company to bring their customers' greatest fears to life. Yet again, we're continuously building on this extremity, right? Yep. Make it more extreme, make it more scary. And then we have the sequel to The House that, the house that October Built too, which I have not seen that you have. So I'll let you take it over. Yep. Uh, this one I just liked. I wanted to bring it up in here because it talks about the uh, – different types of haunts there are by this one having a uh, 5k zombie run where they like go to uh, like a place where they actually took the time to create this desolated like zombie apocalypse town and you're running through it and trying not to get caught by these zombies mm-hmm. and once again it's the same characters from part the first movie and which they try to make it seem like these characters die in the first movie which I think is ridiculous because it's clearly an extreme haunt yeah that they're being pulled into like i just i don't get how at the end of that movie anyone would think they're dead like it's it's clearly found footage and a extreme haunt but i think it depends on how well your knowledge is of haunts and i looked at it like this is clearly they've been pulled into this extreme haunt and they've been buried alive which is something that happens 
when you engage in these extreme haunts, you sign a pretty lot, though they didn't show them signing a consent form. So that was the right. only thing that was a little unrealistic. Yeah, but yeah, and somehow like the characters are back in this one and while the beginning doesn't make sense and takes away from the film a little bit, like I was complaining to you yesterday about, but uh, no, I really like the like the types of haunts they focused on. Like I was saying, there was the zombie run. Then there was one that I, I seen it when, oh my God, I would love to go to this. And it was a zombie pub crawl. And mm. it's just, and it's like a huge like party out in the streets and they're like, you know, drinking as everybody's dressed in zombie outfits and drinking and just, uh, you know, having a good time. And then there's, you know, another extreme haunt they go to and then they go to a haunted hayride. Like, I, I just wanted to add that in here because it's like, yeah, it's showing the other different types of haunts that are out there and focusing on those. And like, once again, they are worried about trying to find or worried about that blue skeleton crew finding them again because that's kind of how it gets wrapped back into the first movie. And yeah, once again, like, it's just you can't trust who is around you because these people could be anywhere and it's part of they're part of the haunts. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I feel like this one was just made to make money. Like, he just yeah. realized how well he did with the first one and was like, I'm going to make this because it makes no real sense. And it's great that it showcases different haunts and stuff, but I think it depends what you're exposed to because I knew about all these because we have them up here. Right. You and know? I, I, knew about, I knew about all of them except for the, the pup crawl one. Mm. But, like, I just thought it was neat that they showed that in a horror film because usually it is just, like, the haunted attractions or the extreme haunts that they, get, that they focus on in movies absolutely and i guess that ties into ruin me as well which is you know we talked about this before it's you know a slasher sleepout and i figured out the place that has it up here is called bigamins and oh, nice. they do a slasher sleepout as well and it's the same only as zombie related and zombies chase them and it's the same idea right so it, the, the, the game turns deadly and i've always thought with stuff like that you know yet again we're looking at the layer here of not doing criminal reference checks not knowing who they're hiring you're going to do this thing where it's overnight and you're chased and you have to sign a waiver and you basically sign any fault of the haunted house out with that waiver. Yeah. You know, and there's a reason why they don't want to be sued, obviously, if you get scared or something happens to you. Um, but Ruin Me developed on that too, right? That was a Shutter film that we, that we had talked about a couple weeks ago. And it gets to the point halfway through that film where the main character doesn't know if it's real or not real. Right. And it gets pretty like dark. Like even throughout that, later on when you find out that it was all like staged, except for a couple of parts of it. Um, one part in particularly where her current boyfriend kidnaps her ex-boyfriend and drowns him, basically, or tries to drown him. Mm-hmm. Um, like the rest of it was all real. And I remember thinking, like, man, that's intense. Like, you know, she's fighting back and she's feeling like she's the final girl and they made her into the final girl. And it's just, it was a little like, it was a great movie. Don't get me wrong, but I think I would feel very overwhelmed in that situation too. Oh, for sure. Right. Um, so yet again, though, playing on that whole fear of things coming real. And then we have Spookers and Haunters, The Art of the Scare. Both of them are on um, Shutter, and they're more documentaries talking about haunted houses. We've talked about Haunters before. It's, yeah. it's very cool. They talk about, you know, the development of these neighbor uh, haunted houses to some real extreme ones where they waterboard you yeah. and they, like, push your head into feces and, like, really gross yeah, things. Very vile. And yet again, you know, if we're not doing criminal reference checks and stuff like that, which it doesn't sound like they're doing, and they won't stop either. Like, there's many videos shown of, you know, the person saying, I've had enough, stop, and they're like, no, no, you're not done yet. 
Yeah, they continue to push. They won't let you quit. And this is reflected in the movie Extremity, or Extremity, yeah. where there's points where these two main characters go to this extreme haunted house, and things happen, and they're like, stop, stop, and they're like, no, we won't stop. But they get really dark in that one. Um, yeah. The main character is sexually and physically abused by her father, who goes to jail. She goes through this haunted house because she's has all these issues as she grows up past this abuse and stuff. And then they bring her father to the haunted house and have this confrontation with him. Yeah. Which they... I don't even know how they knew that. Like it was, I guess, because you had to submit an essay as to why you want to be part of this extreme haunted house, which is the same in haunters we saw that for some of the haunted extreme haunted houses too you had to submit a video and do a phone call yep. an interview but like it it seemed like it was i i don't know why you would bring back someone who sexually abused somebody and have them face right. a haunted house like that seemed obviously as part of the plot of the movie and i get it but it just seemed like it was on steroids to what extreme oh for sure are, yeah right it went above and beyond what it needed to it's just fine yet again. Um, yet again, they're trying to reflect of what could happen. Um, but that is based off the Haunters Art of Scares, talking about, you know, why these people do it. A lot of them feel accepted in this community. And spookies, spookers talked about that as well, too. But the interesting thing about spookers is it's Australia. And the haunted house is run all year round, and it's in a former um, asylum. Oh, nice. And, you know, you have two sides of the coin, right? You have the people that are like, oh, this is so cool. And the new people from the mental health community going, you know, we're trying to eliminate the stigma. And then you open a haunted mm. house in an asylum. Interesting. And the people in there are, 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 you know, mental health patients. And like, those are the people that you're, you're pretending are violent, right? So like, they go through some of the makeup for some of the characters and the people are like, oh, I'm playing someone who has schizophrenia or who's crazy and eats babies and stuff. And I am very much on the mental health side of it. I agree with the mental health providers and I'm going to explain why. Um, I am sick to death movies that portray mental health individuals with mental health or mental illness as as predators i am i am it actually makes me angry yeah because they are more likely to be victims of assault it does nothing but build crazy beliefs of schizophrenia like in secret window with johnny depp and how they present his schizophrenia is insane like yeah. the, the portrayal is insane. Like it makes it seem like anyone who has schizophrenia is going to be a violent person that's going to hurt you. And over and over the documentation and the facts have shown us that people with mental illness are more likely to be victims of a crime. Mm -hmm. They're more likely to live in poverty. Like it really gets me fired up. So I'm trying to like pull it back a little bit. So I get the appeal of doing the haunted house in an old asylum. I do understand that appeal. I do understand creating these above normal, scary like figures, like somebody who eats babies and is crazy, quote unquote crazy. And like, I understand the appeal, but I damn well get how that does nothing but continue to stigmatize. And I honestly don't know where the line should be drawn. Yeah, that is a very tough line to be drawn because I am right there with you. Like this whole mental health 
as using it as a scapegoat for why bad things are happening and they're the villains for it. It's overdone and it's ridiculous. It's does nothing for like helping people like or learn about the mental stigma. issue. Yeah. Like do you have friends that have schizophrenia? Uh, not that I know of. I do. I know people that have schizophrenia that are on medication. I wouldn't say friends. That's probably a loose word to use. But I know people that do. And let me tell you, they don't do this shit. Yeah, I believe that. Okay? You know, I have friends that have various mental health issues. And I have never been afraid of them because of that. If anything, I have been concerned of them hurting themselves or something happening to them. Right, because they more than likely won't either hurt anybody else. They would more likely hurt themselves before that. And it's not that those things don't happen. And I, and yet again, the asylum was also that they used in Spookers was a great setup. Like it's big. It has all these different rooms. Like I can yet again see why. And they create this family. There's a lot of people in the actors that go there and they're like, you know what? I was bullied at school, but here I'm accepted. My parents don't talk to me because I came out as, as homosexual, but people here support me. One gentleman gets diagnosed with HIV while he's there. And everyone kind of crowds around him in this, in this support group. So I totally get where you feel like a misfit in society. You come here, you can make up your own self. You can be whoever you want to be mm-hmm. and you're accepted. And that in turn is helping with mental health. But then you have this other side of it. And I yeah. think that this documentary is on shutter. It does a very good job of exploring that. And I don't have the answer for what, what is too much, what is, what is too little, but I think it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, that is like a really good conversation to have. And this, this is one that I wanted to get around to watching before we did this, but unfortunately did not have the time. So I am definitely going to be sitting down to check this out real soon because I'm very curious. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. And I think it it plays really well on mm-hmm. where our development has come with these haunts too, right? So this is all in 2017. And then in 2018, we explode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You would go all over the place. We have the extremity movie, which is about the young woman that, you know, exposes herself to the extreme haunted house and they pull her abusive father into it at the end. And like, it's, it's very, very extreme. Mm -hmm. We have Hellfest, which is probably one of the most well-known ones because it had a theatrical release. Yeah. And I like this one because it, this is where they kind of bring in the whole, Universal Horror Nights kind of haunted theme park to the mix of horror films. Yeah, like it's very, very smart. And like how the whole thing is filmed and how they go to different locations within the theme parks and the part where Tony Todd's in it with the guillotine and uh, the young lady that's in it. She was also in the Scream TV series. I can't remember the actress's name. Was she the big horror movie fan that's like, oh, yeah. this is so cool. I love yeah. this. Yeah, and she kind of is similar in the Scream series too. So I I thought that that was really, really cool. And, you know, it has a really, like, the ending where you're like, oh, my God. Yet again, spoilers in this section, guys. It's some dude that has a family. Yeah, that's... and he goes home to his young child. Right? So that, yet again, causes, like, how did he get in there in the first place? How did he manage to fit in? How could, could this happen? You know, I I think that movie, out of all the movies that have come out, walks the line the most of could this happen. Yeah. Yeah, because he's just walking amongst a big crowd of people and where people are dressing up for the fun of it and dressing up for their job. And he just blends right in and 
no one thinks none the wiser and he's sitting here just following these people stalking them through this whole part because of that and not yeah. being stopped and i remember watching this movie and thinking that is like canada's wonderland oh is it that's how it was more crowded than that okay wow. it would have not been and and at canada's wonderland there was a fight in the parking lot between i say gang members because like it's people that think they're with the Bloods and the Crips. I, I don't think if you're going to Canada's Orlando 17. I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe that's just my own, like, biased attitude. It, it just doesn't that, seem right. right. It doesn't seem right. like that Well, there are people that are – we do have a high level of gangs in Toronto. That is not, you know – Well, any, I'm not, I'm not talking does. about that, but – Right. But, like, we did have violence in the parking lot because you have that many people together. It's going to happen. But I could see, like, after I went to Wonderland, after – like, I, saw, I went to Wonderland and saw this, and I'm like, yep like that isn't too far off and that's the best part about this horror is it puts that seed of doubt yep right could this actually happen um and then we have i'm going to skip over some of the other ones that i haven't seen but i'm going to talk about Bloodfest. uh i thought Bloodfest was hilarious i <laughs> i love the part where they realize that they're real chainsaw people that are coming after them and they go into the zombie thing and the one guy doesn't believe that they're zombies and he's just like stomping on the ground and then these people that have been infected with whatever drug they've given them try to try to eat them and i think it's hilarious i know you don't like this movie that much i love it i think it's super funny i thought it was well done besides the ending which was a little cheese cheese and really poor budget um and i thought it was funny like i yeah the Craigslist. Where did we get the clowns clowns from? Oh Craigslist. I thought that joke was mint. I uh, I thought that that was <laughs> like that was see, funny. <laughs> I I, lo I I was all about the zombie one, but that clown one, I was just like, oh my god. But it ties <laughs> to the non background check thing. Oh, it does. It totally right? does. Like it does tie in, but um, and Bloodfest has a little bit of that romantic story, and the guy's a virgin. Yeah, and this <laughs> one is uh, hires way... don't tell him because he's a virgin. It's really funny. Yeah, I say this one is like probably the more way over the top one compared to a lot of the other films. Well, and I wouldn't even put Bloodfest and Hellfest in the same category. Like besides no. the fact that they both happen at like a haunt attraction, they're both very different movies. You know, yeah, say, I think they came out a month apart series. from each other as well. But they did, and I think Bloodfest was a straight to VOD. I don't yep. believe, at least up here it didn't have a theater release. Yeah, it was straight to VOD as well. Right. So you know, like very different, but yet again, playing on that same horror clicks, horror horror you know fears and all that kind of stuff very very well done and then finally the last one that came out last year that i loved was haunt 2019 and yes. um you know it's about a group of people that go out for halloween and they stumble across this random haunted house in the middle of nowhere which yet again people do this all the time kind of ties back into um the house that october built or house yeah. october built and they uh go through this haunted house and there's stuff like put your hand in and it and they you know, fillets around and having to crawl through spaces and stuff. And I thought it was really well done. Yeah. And this is one of those where like pretty much all the actors are, you know, dangerous and yeah, probably should not uh, like, and this is one of those where it just makes you go, all right, um, this could happen. Like this could be a setup for like, if you've especially one that's out in the middle of nowhere, this could be a setup for something bad to happen. Absolutely. And there's parts where they're trying to get out and you don't know if they're going to make it out. And I remember that one guy gets out and there's the other, the guy has helped them get out. Like you almost yep. think he's going to be their friend and he's like, would you like to see what my face looks like? And I remember that line and just being like, Ooh, 
Like I got yeah. <laughs> chills throughout my body. And you really do buy into the characters. You feel empathy for them. And they do a good job of recreating this fear of these haunts. So, you know, we've gone from this rink-a-dink, like things popping out of nowhere haunted houses to the strip mall haunted houses that are there all year round to these extreme haunted houses to documentaries about haunted houses to three different movies. You know, if we look at Hellfest, Bloodfest, and The Haunt, being based on levels of haunted houses and and comedy about it because even Bloodfest more is like this kind of concert thing and yeah I'd say that one's more like a festival like more of a festival you know I I think that it's they're really marketized and capitalized on the growth of this oh yeah and and where will we go from here because I could eat these movies up all day like candy like candy corn I just think they're so fun so yeah yeah I I think this was a very fun topic because, yeah, these types of movies are like my jam. I love them. They get me in the mood for Halloween every time I watch them. And once again, makes me go, boy, in 2021, it's going to be a great year when I can go to all these haunted houses. <laughs> right. And that's, and the haunted houses probably love it because it makes people want to come to them. So everybody yeah. wins. So that's our discussion on haunted houses and film. And I'm sure we'll see more films coming out this year, um, whether it's on extreme haunted houses or whatnot. I think that this whole trend or just incorporating them in films if it's not in the whole film and trick they're in a haunted house at some point too it's not part of the entire film um but there is a part that they're in it dark ride which goes back to an abandoned haunted house so we didn't use those two simply because trick it's only in there for i think 15 20 minutes they're in a haunted house um and then dark ride it's an abandoned haunted house that they go back to but so it doesn't work with the whole it doesn't work this could happen a scare exactly But, you know, I think that is smart and it's going to get people to keep going to them and maybe make them second guess. Like, is this really somebody that I should be concerned about? You know, should I be scared? So it's smart. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so we got, instead of uh, what we're looking forward to segment, we decided to try a new segment out, which we're going to call Out of the Dark, which is going to basically be us discussing either some horror news a horror movie topic of some sort or just a general discussion about something that you know we just thought wanted to like something that we've seen that we really wanted to talk about and uh yeah this first one uh we definitely have a fan of this franchise here on this podcast that's for sure mm-hmm. but uh scream scream five got announced and the talks that they're going to be possibly bringing in uh Oh my God! What's her? Oh, Nev Campbell as Sydney Prescott. So I was kind of curious. What are your thoughts on this, Heather? Well, I'm a big screen fan, much like I think most of people are in the horror community. Um, I like all four movies. Uh, we did a commentary on Scream Three that will be released, and I thought Four, Scream Four, was a perfect little bow on the series. I think they did a good job of putting some new life into it making it more relevant for generation in 2011 pulling in some pretty well-known young actresses at the time um and actors and really you know lords of chaos the guy that was in lords of chaos is in scream four i can't remember his name calkin oh rory calkin i didn't didn't realize he was in that yeah i'm pretty sure he is i think he plays one of the killers um oh nice i think so um but 
you know, I, and I've seen the series. I've seen the MTV series. I watched season one and two. Thought that was a really good readaptation of the story. I, I do think we have reached a point where we don't need a Scream 5. Um, will I go watch it? Of course I will. Of course I will. Of course I'll support Nev Campbell. And it's not that I don't think Sydney should come back. I just think we've reached this point with the series of what else can we add to it with those characters? You know, what else can Sydney Prescott bring to this role? Like, how are we going to continuously bring this back from the dead? Yeah. That's, I, I, I think that if it was a readaptation, a reimagination, another TV series, I would be down with it. But I, I feel like it's, there's just other things that could be remade, redacted that need a fresher look. Um, I really don't, I really don't know if a Scream 5 is going to bring in new viewers. I really, I really just, I, I don't see what's left to do with the story. Yeah, because I agree with you, like, Scream 5 will, uh, it's not going to bring in new viewers, because it's the fifth movie in the franchise. This is only going to bring in people that have already been watching this franchise, either when they first came out, or have seen them in the recent years. No one's going to want to just, like, for a first-time viewer, go, I'm going to see part five of this particular franchise. You know, and I agree with you, because I've seen Halloween 5, and I like Halloween 4 and 5. I'm probably in the minority there. Um... And I, I don't mind sex either, actually. Um, but like, you know, Donald Pleasant survived through all those too. So it's not even a beef with having Cindy come back. Like, right. why is she back already? I don't even care about that piece. But I agree with you. Like, I watched Halloween 5 because I had seen the other Halloweens. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to just see where they were continuing with that story. And you really had to see Halloween 4 before you saw Halloween 5. And before Halloween 4, you really did need to see 1 and 2 yeah. for it to really make sense. So, yeah, I don't know. I I really, you know, I get that there's a lot of people in the community that are gung-ho for this, and I'm a huge Scream fan, as I said, and I just, I don't know. I just, I just don't know what they're going to do with the story that's going to make it anything special. Yeah, because they've already pretty much hit like almost every different type of beat that they could have with the rest of these with the other movies before this. Well, the three mo- first three movies, whether people like the half brother pot- plot line or not, um, it ties in. Yeah, like all the killers, you go, oh, that makes sense. Yep. You know, like whether you like it or not, it still makes sense. Um, and in the fourth one, they did a good job of going a different route and what they used, but. <laughs> Even I walked out of the fourth one, and I and Scott knows my love for the Scream series, and I went, "That will do, Donkey. That will do. Like, <laughs> yeah, you've done it. You know, like this is good. Let's leave it on a high note. You know, you leave the party when the party's jamming, not when like everyone's drunk and puking all over the place. So right. I, right, <laughs> that's a I, good example. Right, like that's how I feel about it. I think things like Death Dream, which is a movie from the '80s, a Canadian movie, could be remade and be made better. Yeah. You know, I would like to see Death Dream remade, readapted. And as much as people love Pin, and I'm sure I'm going to get people that are like, oh, no, I think Pin could be remade too. Oh, please remake it. Because right? I, I, this must have been something that we should have watched when we were younger to like feel the effects that a lot of people love for it. Because I, I just thought it was okay. This could, yeah. like, it just felt so out of date. And yeah, like they, I could see this one being a remake and bringing in a new audience that never heard of the original. Cause I'd never even heard of the original till 10 years ago, maybe. 
Yeah. And, and I, you know, I thought I was a big horror fan, but I had no freaking clue about this movie. And same with Death Dream. This one I didn't hear about till this year. And yep. yeah, that's another great movie that could totally go with a remake because it just, it's a it's part of its time and it just feels really out of date. And people that are new to horror will not be able to relate to these movies that easily. No, and, and, I, and I think that they both have good concepts. Like I think Death Dream had a good concept. Yeah. And we talked about it on Bay of Blood. There's a Canadian episode that will be released at some point um where we talked about it and it's and it's a good film but it's just it's it's slow like it's slow and i think that that's something you could expand on and as much as i love the changeling and gregory peck in that movie i think great i think the changeling could be redone too and no am i not am i trying to say it would be better of course not of course not but like you could do a new adaptation on it to bring new horror fans into the genre that's okay right yeah because well and for me the changeling I love the movie. I just watched it for the first time recently, like probably in the last month. But I felt this one was kind of dragged a bit. Yeah, there's like, parts where it does drag. It's a great ghost story, though. I think yeah. it's one of the best ghost stories of all time. Oh, I am right there with you. It is definitely in my like top five. If I ever had to make a top five ghost story list, like this one is there because it's it hits the notes of what I like about a ghost story with the effective atmosphere and just the creepiness and the story itself is really good. But there is just a part, like, I think it was in that second act that just kind of drags a bit. And, like, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing it remade. Um, Yeah, it would probably be, like you said, not nearly as good, but, like, it would bring in a different audience that, you know, these remakes will always bring in an audience. And not all of them, but some of them will go, you know what? I now want to see the original to see what this is based off of. And kind of like see what I can get out of it because that's I've I've done that with several remakes throughout my years where I've never knew of the original till it came out and I'm going well now I'm gonna go back and see the original and what is good right and what is good you know I think Gregory Peck's performance you can never take away from he's an incredible actor um you know and and the acting in that movie and the filming of the house and everything is is breathtaking but for us to think that there isn't another good actor that can come in and do this like I'm so tired of people putting movies on pedestals and saying they can never be remade you know like i think with the right writer and the right cast and the right take on it and it may not be the best for you and that's fine but for somebody else it may be yeah and this could be like a stepping stone for someone to get into horror this could be like their first horror film absolutely or it could be an excellent more modern day re-adaptation of a story yeah you know i find the original kojo boring as hell yeah. And maybe if someone remade that, and there could be people that love it, you know, and I may see the remake and be like, this is great. And someone may see the remake and go, this sucks. But you know what? Like, that's okay. It's okay to have differencing opinions over what is good and what is not good. And you can do that. And that's all right. And I feel like we just need to get there as horror fans and as podcasters, too, to be quite honest. Yeah. there Because a lot, like a lot of people, especially in just the horror community, like in general, get on this soapbox of saying things are untouchable. And no, nothing is untouchable. And it, don't worry, if a remake comes out, it's never going to take away from what the original was. And, like, and you can't go, like, you can watch the original as much as you want. That's what I never understand. Yeah. Why people take it such offense. Like, if they make Scream 5, I'm not going to be like, oh, man, they made Scream 5, and Cindy was in it, and I'm so mad about it. If I don't like it after I watch it, then I just don't watch it again. Right, like, same with me. <laughs> 
how does any of this impact your life to the point that you have to get that mad about it? I, I don't understand it. And, and maybe it's because I get so mad about other things and people would say the same thing about me in those areas. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, pot the kettle. But anyway, my thoughts. Yep. I think it just all comes to the fact that horror movie fans in general or just fans of nerddom in general are very passionate. And sometimes our passion goes a little bit uh, beyond healthy. So it just, you know, everyone just needs to, you know, relax. If the remake comes out of a certain movie or a sequel comes out for a movie, check it out just to support horror. But if it's not for you, just don't watch it again. Or don't check it out and don't bitch about it. Yeah. Like it is possible for you not to go to the movie theater and see a movie you don't want to see. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't understand. It is possible. <laughs> yeah, because you can. What is the term? Uh, vote with vote with your wallet. Yeah, like if you really don't want to see something, no. Do I? Will I go see Scream Five in theaters? I'll be honest, probably not. Yeah, I'll probably wait till VOD. Right? Like I probably won't. Like I probably won't go see it. Does it mean that I need to let everybody know that I'm not going to go see it and this and that and the other? No, it doesn't. No, not at it all. It actually doesn't mean that. Anyway, this has gone on to another side rant that, you know. We, we could create a side podcast for right? this. <laughs> right. So bottom line is, that's what we're that's what we're looking forward to. Our plugs. I'm going to do our plugs for a change. So I always all right. to them. Um, we are on It's Not Horror Okay with Nudie from NFW, as well as Android Virus, Virus from Android Vision, and as well as Venom from No More Room in Hell, Fresh Cuts, um, In the Mic of Madness. And every other show on Horrorphilia <laughs> Network. We have also, well, let's see, I, I, we were both on Fresh Cuts uh, for Bavarian. Bavarian? Yep. Um, that was released about two weeks ago. And I was on Fresh Cuts recently for Blood Quantum. And you've been on some stuff, haven't you? I feel like I'm missing something you yep. did. I just did the Rotten Roundtable with the horror yes. cast recently. Yes. And, um... Yeah, I think that's... Oh, and we'll be on a commentary next week that will be coming out. Yep, with the Horror Returns. Horror Returns, and that's about it. Oh, and yeah, you're also your uh, Double-Edged Double Bill episode yes. released. Yes, that, the Double-Edged Double Bill episode came out as well. Uh, so yeah, you can check us out on, on those. Yep, and then like as always, uh, we have our Facebook page, the Fa- uh, Friday Nightmares podcast. So search us up, find us there. Uh, We're slowly building a good community there, and we hope to continue that. And, uh, yeah, until next time, unpleasant dreams. enjoyed this show then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcasts duncan and Bo come correct exploding heads horror movie podcast friday the 13th get slayed the hell ming power hour hello this is the doom show hero hero ghost show kill the cast underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark metal health 
obsessive cinema discourse pick six movies the podcast by the cemetery the podcast on haunted hill the psycho semantic podcast rick radio house of wax dude looks like the 80s rabbit and red radio the shade cast short bus cinema two drink minimum commentaries the vd clinic who will survive horror podcast and which versus the doomsday clock with such a widespread of shows there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with horror politics movies books sex music commentaries health video games kaiju action news comedy and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world we are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world check us out at www.legionpodcast.com itunes spotify stitcher youtube and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found